This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, how's everybody doing after a weekend of football that did not involve you rooting for your Bills or chewing your fingernails or whatever you've done for the last few Bills games that have been kind of close? Chris Brown, Matty Glab with you here on a Monday that is not recapping a Bills game per se, but we will go around the NFL here in short order. Uh, How was your weekend? It was like half decent weather, half crappy weather. It was nice to have a couple days off, but I feel like when we have a couple days off in season, if I'm not leaving Buffalo, I just end up doing chores around the house and getting stuff done that has been on my to-do list since the season started. So it was nice to get some stuff done, but Sunday night, I looked at my husband and I was like, I just wish I laid on the couch for a couple extra hours. We had games on, we were watching games and all that, so that was nice, but I just wish I was a little bit more of a couch potato, but alas. Yeah, I did, yeah. I raked way too many leaves, probably more than I should have, because uh, my back was killing me the next day. I actually had to jump in my tub and soak because I was at it for like three hours plus because I have a lot of trees in my mm-hmm. backyard. And the worst part is this is only round one of what is going to be three rounds because half of my trees Eesh. still have half of their leaves on them. But I have a pile in front of my house. That goes up to my mailbox. Oh, my gosh. And it's about 20 feet long. Wow. In front of my house. you got to work so out. the truck can't get there soon enough to vacuum them up because our town services, they mm-hmm. vacuum up the leaves. So, so you we don't, don't have, have to bag, bag it. Them, okay. Which is a okay, huge, that's nice. huge help. But, you know, you throw them on the tarp. You drag the tarp out there. You dump them out. I did that nine times. Jeez. <laughs> on Saturday. It was nuts. Um, but got to spend some time with the missus, so that was good. Um you know, there aren't many Sundays where our spouses have us because we're working mm-hmm. this time of year. So that was good. Um, did a little brunch thing yesterday. That was nice. Uh, and then we were talking about getting ready for Halloween, Maddie, which is tomorrow, as we know. And she has come up with a very simple solution for Halloween, which is instead of celebrating it on October 31st, It should always be celebrated the last Saturday of the month. Hmm. That way, kids aren't, like, rushing out of school and, you know, running to houses, number one. And you never have – parents can plan better because I'm telling you right now, parents with kids, if it's on a weekday, now they got to hustle home from work. They got to run them around. For the younger kids, it gets dark early, so now they can't have a full – you know, mm-hmm. kind of Halloween experience. I'm, so it becomes, I'm here for that. I, I think it's a heavier lift during the week yeah. for parents and for people, you know, that Handing out candy. may want to get home and, and hand out some candy where if it's on a Saturday, you know, whether you got to do it in shifts because you got some errands to run or whatever. I don't know. I like that idea a lot. Like, I know I would have liked it a lot when I had kids trick-or-treating because now you don't have to worry about racing home and doing all the, I don't know it just it seems like an easier way to go about the whole holiday I maybe maybe we're crazy but no, she brought think, that up I and I was like a, I love it I like that it's a good perspective I feel like from parents or adults end of things but I remember as a kid having Halloween on a weekday it was like this makes the week so much better we get to have a Halloween party in class and take away from learning all for that. And yeah. then we get to go trick-or-treating right after school. So I was right. a big fan of like... Yeah, so as a kid, I get that. And I guess you could still have school celebrate Halloween on mm-hmm. the 31st. I just think... 
got to have an edict like, hey, trick-or-treating's on the weekend. No matter yeah. when the 31st falls, the last Saturday of the month, we're doing it. Kind of like Thanksgiving, you know, third Thursday in November, last Saturday of the month. You just I, know when it's going to happen. Yeah, just, I don't know. It just seems to make sense to me, and it makes it easier on all the parents that got to take trick-or-treaters around, too, because they don't have to worry about work for, in most cases. I think it's a good idea. So the other problem that we have is I have a dog that goes absolutely bonkers when the doorbell rings, like <laughs> rips the house apart racing to the front door. Do you so, guys have to put a sign on the yes, door that says, do I, not ring the doorbell? Yes, I have a sign on my front door year-round now oh that my says, gosh. please do not ring the door. You can't even knock. Like, if you knock, it's same reaction. So please, now, Please whisper if you're here. So for Halloween, either myself or Just my wife outside. are going to have to be either, if, and if it's a crummy day, I'm not doing that. So now I've got to be camped out in my front room in my house so I can see when kids are approaching mm-hmm. and then open the door before they get there and say, here we go. What do you, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So yeah, my dog uh, has turned us into preemptive door openers for Halloween. Nobody rings our bell or knocks on the door. <laughs> this is where we are with my dog now. So the dog runs the house. Exactly. Well, yeah, or prompts us into action <laughs> so she doesn't act like a lunatic. So that's where we are for basically all day tomorrow when we get home from work. Um, but we got to get around the NFL mm-hmm. here to kind of bring you up to speed on everything else that happened in the league. We trust that a lot of you were watching a lot of the games, especially the 4 o'clock Cincinnati game against San Francisco, which was airing locally here in western New York. We'll get to that one in a second. But around the NFL, presented by Collider Health, the official healthcare system of the Buffalo Bills, and we begin with the barn burner, Maddie, that was Jets-Giants. <laughs> if you're a fan of punting, this game was for you. Uh, and, and if you didn't have enough punting in regulation, they also gave you overtime. <laughs> so the Giants, to kind of get to the end of this thing, they're, in, they're up three, 10 to seven, and they are in position to kick a 35-yard field goal to go up six with 24 seconds left in regulation. Graham Gano hooks it wide left. Now, I did hear reports that he was dealing with an injury. Mm. So, because he had missed one earlier in the game. So, they're winning by three. They could have been up nine if he hits two field goals, and, you know, that game's over. Because, I mean, it was a one-score game throughout. In any event, he hooks it wide left. So, now it's still 10-7 with, like, 26, 24 seconds left, and... The Jets have the ball at, like, their own 26. And I'll give Zach, Zach Wilson some credit here. They moved the ball decently when they needed to. On that last-ditch yeah. drive, he had two 29-yard mm-hmm. completions. And here's the other thing. I was telling the guys in the control room this before we went on the air. We learned something. If your team is in a last-second situation and they go down on the middle of the field, you have no timeouts and the clock is still running, Alan Lazard got up. And with the clock winding down, handed the ball to his center, who came down the field. Mm-hmm. And the center essentially put the ball wherever yep. he thought it should be. Yep. And then the ref comes in and taps the football mm-hmm. to make it a legit spot of the ball. Mm-hmm. And they're able to spike it with one second with left. One sa- if I am a head coach in this league anywhere on a Monday today, I am telling my players, this is what you do. Do not hand it to the ref. Mm-hmm. Hand it to the center and make the ref hustle his rear end over there to, to spot the ball. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing from now on. If, if I'm in that situation ever again and I'm the coach, that's what I'm teaching my players to do. You catch the ball, clock's running, we're out of timeouts, and we have to spike it, hand it to our center. 
and have him spot the ball and let the ref go scurrying around to catch up to you. Yeah, because they got off with one second left. Yeah. I was wondering. I was like, oh, it's going to be close. Because if they handed it to the ref, they're not getting yeah, it off. No. I don't think they are. I agree. So that's the way I would do it. And then in overtime, um, you saw what happened there. The Jets, or sorry, the Giants win the toss, mm-hmm. take the ball. Now here's the debate. This is what the big debate is about today, Maddie, because we saw the way that game went, right? 11 punts and a turnover on downs by the Jets, 12 punts and two missed field goals by the Giants. So I just felt with the way the game was going, you can make an argument that the Giants who won the coin toss should have deferred in overtime instead of taking the ball. And the reason why is nobody had scored a touchdown for about two and a half quarters at that point. And so if you defer, kick off, and you can, your defense can stop the Jets, which it had done for the most part, or even if they give up a field goal, game's still not over. So you can now you know what you need to do. I at least have to get a field goal. And if you somehow miraculously score a touchdown, the game's over. So I was wondering, I think that's a debatable argument with the way that game was going. I, what do you think? Like, no, I, I, there's combined 24 punts in the game total. There so, were more punts than points. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's a good conversation to have. It's a good argument. If both teams are struggling to move the football and score, score touchdowns, then why not defer? Why not bet that you guys can close it out right. and stop uh, stop them on and, defense. And here's the other thing. Yeah, if so if you put your the Giants put their defense out there and they stop the Jets, you can argue also that if they're punting after about four or five plays maybe that your field position when you get the ball will even be better than it would be on a kickoff. Yeah, that's a good point too. So, now you got less to travel if your defense can get that stop, now you got less to travel and guess what? You only need a field goal to win. Because, you know, mm-hmm. it's sudden death now because they failed on their first right. possession. So I, I think there's some, there's some merit to that argument with the way that game went. Because we're so conditioned to think, oh, my God, you got to get the ball in overtime. Because yeah. if you score a touchdown, it's over. Like, you got to get the ball first. In that game, <laughs> I think you could argue deferring there in I overtime. Like that. So that I was like kind that. of an interesting post-game discussion. Um, Zero third down conversions in the first half. Oof. 0 for 18 for both teams. The Jets didn't convert one until the 219 mark of the fourth quarter. And they finish, if you were to combine third down attempts and conversions for each team, they, they finish four of 34. <sighs> yeah, it set football back about three decades yesterday. And, and with some measure of understanding, the Giants were on their third quarterback because Daniel Jones was inactive, still out with a neck injury, although they say he's cleared for contact and he's going to practice this week. So that's good for the Giants, although it may not matter at this point in time. They're 2-6. and six. And then Tyrod Taylor suffers a rib injury and has to go to the hospital. Yeah, and which s- leads, stayed overnight, I think. It leads me to believe they were concerned about internal organs getting damaged by whatever rib injury he sustained. Because uh, he came to the sidelines and he just bent over and took a knee and he was holding like the middle of his rib cage, which is kind of, I don't know, it makes me think there's like some gruesome break in there, something break off the sternum <laughs> or something. Oh, yeah. so, you know, shot to the solar plexus or whatever. But then, um, so Tommy DeVito is playing 
And he had a touchdown, but he ran it in. He didn't throw it. And they were terrified of him throwing the football, apparently. They had seven total passing yards on six completions. He was two of seven. Yeah. And Tyrod Taylor seven was four of seven. passing yards. That is insane. Um, Bills really could have used the Giants' help there, and I thought they were going to help him. But they fall to the Jets, and the Jets are now four and three on the season instead of being three and four. And they're just a half game behind Buffalo with the head-to-head tiebreaker from week one. The Patriots didn't help the Bills either. After falling to the Dolphins in Miami, 31-17. I didn't have a lot of hope in that one, to be honest. New England did make it a one-score game with about eight minutes left, made it 24-17. But Miami got a late touchdown from Jalen Waddell to pretty much seal the thing. Miami now 6-2, still a game clear atop the division. Patriots are now just like the Giants, 2-6 on the season, and we just saw news from NFL Network's Mike Garofolo, Kendrick Bourne out for the season, tore his ACL in the game. So it goes from bad to worse uh, for the Patriots, who look like they are going nowhere this season at all, uh, and unfortunately played their best game of the season against the Bills. I know. It's like, well, when you look week. at that, you talk about that, and you talk about how they played against the, the Dolphins and how the Dolphins clearly yeah. beat them. It's like, ugh. Yeah, and our MSG no. viewers are seeing that Jalen Ramsey returned to the lineup to play his first game as a Miami Dolphin, had an interception in the game, which led to a touchdown for the Dolphins. So Dolphins' defense is getting healthy. They're still, you know, they're still giving up points, but – you know, it was the Patriots, and you probably shouldn't give up more than 17 to New England, and they didn't. The Bills did. Uh, so, yeah, just not great. Uh, but, you know, people criticize the Bills when they struggle or can't find their stride on offense. Did you see the Chiefs yesterday? There was another team that struggled that's pretty good. And they were facing the 31st-ranked defense in football in points allowed and last in total defense in the Broncos in Denver. And Mahomes looked terrible. Two picks, a fumble, had just one scoring drive of 50 yards or more. His passer rating was 52.9. Now, some people are probably going to give Mahomes a pass here because he reportedly was suffering from the flu late in the week, mm-hmm. was taking IVs on Thursday and Friday to try to get hydrated and ready for the game. But quietly, the Broncos have won two in a row here going into their bye before they come to Buffalo, to Buffalo in week 11 Monday night on football. Monday night. So, you know, you talk about how it's a week-to-week league. If you think about this Broncos team in week four, the Bills beat them in a walk, the week four version of the Denver Broncos. They're going to be playing the week 11 version of the Denver Broncos, which is going to be a much different football team. Yep. So that's unfortunate. And then you've got the Cincinnati Bengals, Matty. <laughs> who couldn't beat a division opponent if their life depended on it in the first month of the season with a very limited in mobility Joe Burrow coming off his calf injury. And now, what do we see? It looks like the Bengals have completely rounded back into playoff form. Burrow near perfect yesterday, 28-32 for 283 and three touchdowns as Cincinnati won at San Francisco, 31-17. Brock Purdy for the Niners threw a pair of interceptions. San Francisco gave up a season-high 31 points, and the Niners, who started the season 5-0, and have now lost three straight. I don't think anybody would have picked that to happen three weeks ago. Nope. 
49ers Bills have the same record. Brock Purdy is not looking like the Brock Purdy who started the season, but it's not all on Brock Purdy. The defense has allowed quite a few points in the last two games. Uh, And of course, the Bengals are figuring it out right as they are going to face the Bills in week nine. You know, I joked about this happening a couple weeks ago, and here we are. In week nine, the Bengals finally score 31 points. Joe Burrow looks like himself. Jamar Chase has a 100-yard game. Joe Mixon has 87 rushing yards and a touchdown, and it looks like they've figured it out, which is kind of what they did last year. Started off slow, and yeah. then were able to figure it out. I think out. they had a three-game losing streak at one point last year and figured it out. And I think we were all kind of confident that they would eventually round into form. I was just hoping it would take place after they played the Bills. But that that apparently is not going to happen. The good news is that the Bills and their coaching staff, anyway, had three extra days to prep for the Bengals. So hopefully that makes somewhat of a difference uh, going into that one. Huge game on Sunday night. Another team that very quietly has now won five in a row, Maddie. The Jacksonville Jaguars, 20-10 to 10 over Pittsburgh. Now Kenny Pickett, starting quarterback for the Steelers, left with a rib injury mm-hmm. and did not return. They also lost Minka Fitzpatrick to a hamstring injury in that game. And Mitchell Trubisky, whew, Mitchie Biscuits, did not look good. He had two interceptions, I think, in the second half, and ugh, it, was, it was ugly. Yeah, finishes it, with a 51 passer rating. And their offense has been a slog. All season long, they've been the Steelers fans have been calling for the firing of their offensive coordinator since about week three, and it hasn't it hasn't quieted in light of how they have played. So Steelers are not really. It's amazing their head is above water. I think they're four and three. Um, yep, four that and is three. that is stunning to me. Even more stunning is right now, and this will just this will go to show you just how messed up the Bengals were at the beginning of the year. They are still outside the playoff picture at 4-3 and three because they don't have any tiebreakers with wow. any of their division opponents. The last three playoff seeds are Buffalo at 5, Pittsburgh at 6, Cleveland at 7. So basically, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Cincinnati, all 4-3 and three and all in the same division, and Baltimore 6-2, and two, and, you know, a game and a half clear. Mm-hmm. So it... <laughs> You, want to, you think the AFC East is jumbled or tightly packed. <laughs> Go look at the AFC North. Holy cow. So it's, it's a jumble right now. It really is. I mean, you've got four teams that are 6-2, and two, and those are essentially your division leaders for all four AFC divisions. And then after that, the Bills are the only 5-3 and three team because they haven't had a bye yet. And then you've got four teams that are 4-3, and three, three of whom are in the AFC North, and then you got three more teams that are three and four and two more teams that are three and five. So you want to talk about tight and packed. The AFC we knew would be loaded with talent. It unquestionably is. And I think these overall records are kind of reflecting it right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. nobody's really out of it. I mean, except, I mean, you want to argue New England at two and six. I'll listen to that because I don't think they're going anywhere anyway uh, in terms of making a run at it. They're just, they're just not equipped, and they arguably lost their best receiver for the season in Kendrick Bourne, who's done with an ACL. So not looking good for them. Um, other injury news to pass along, the Vikings win. Mm. Listen, so, Maddie, listen to this. Minnesota starts the season 1-4, and four, 
They win yesterday over the Packers. They're even at 4-4. Four and four. They've won three straight, but they lose Kirk Cousins for the season to an Achilles. Yeah. Second quarterback lost to an Achilles this year, Aaron Rodgers obviously being the other one. That is just tough to see. Man, terrible. Absolutely terrible. And he knew right away. He's holding his leg up like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. So just not good. Getting an MRI today to confirm what people right. fear. But it seems like it's pretty much a lock that it's an Achilles for him and his year is over. And the scariest thing for them, Maddie, their backup is rookie fifth-round pick Jaron Hall. That's their backup. And you wonder with trade deadline looming tomorrow what some of these teams might do who could be in need of a quarterback for the rest of the season. Right. And I don't know. Do do the Vikings try to trade for somebody that's a veteran to learn the system thinking they can make a playoff run? I don't know. That's that's the point right there. Do you think you can do it? Or do you just hang out with the guy that you got? I think they're more likely – to just try to grab a veteran to back up Hall in the interim Mm -hmm. and then maybe look around and maybe if they can even find a third QB that they can get for nothing, say, hey, you want to flip him to us and we'll give you a conditional seventh, you know? Oh, Nick Mullins is on the roster too. That's right. I forgot about that. So Nick Mullins is the veteran backup, so they already have that guy. So at four and four, I just don't think you can justify – giving up assets to try to bring somebody in and hope they can learn fast and be better than Jaron Hall. So they may just have to play out the string and hope for the best in the AFC North. Um, The other kind of uplifting news, rookie quarterback Will Levis in Tennessee, Matty. Wow. First start, four touchdown passes. The Titans scored 28 points, the most they've scored all season, and beat Atlanta. Just unbelievable performance by Will Levis in his first Career start. He's going to get the start next week because Tannehill still isn't ready, or at least that's the general consensus as to how it's going to play out. Meanwhile, on the other side, Desmond Ritter, the starting quarterback for Atlanta, got benched. Yeah. For Taylor Heineke. So unbelievable. Like, I don't know if anybody had that one, but he played a great game. Got to tip your hat to the kid. Yeah. D Hop had three <laughs> touchdowns. Their, their con- that connection looked good. I was watching part yeah, of that game. Yeah, he had his game. biggest game yeah. of the season, right, Hopkins? It was like, oh, it looks like you guys have played together and played for a while. It, the, the connection between those two looked nice. It looked like there was some life in the Tennessee Titans offense. And Derrick Henry had uh, had 100 rushing yards. He didn't have any touchdowns. But it was like, hmm, three and four now. What yeah. are you going to do? Will Levis, can, they, can he kind of resurrect something within this team? So that is Around the NFL, presented by Kaleida Health. Topic of discussion for you today concerns the Bills division. You just watched a whole bunch of AFC East football yesterday, NAFC football for that matter. So following week eight in the NFL, how do you project the AFC East to play out the rest of the way here? 803-0550, the number to get on board. we got some other stuff in store for you today, including Eric Wood, who's going to join us in hour number three. But as you know, Dolphins atop the division at 6-2, and two, Bills at 5-3, and three, Jets right behind at 4-3 and three with the head-to-head tiebreaker on Buffalo, and the Patriots at 2-6. and six. How do you see this division playing out the rest of the way? Open lines for you at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. The numbers to get on board. But let's go to the phones 
And we're going to lead off with John in Massachusetts. What do you got for us, John? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, um, I just wanted to talk about the defense a little bit more, particularly the cornerbacks. Sure. Um, I thought, uh, and it was just, you know, watching it on TV, I thought Benford and Dane Jackson just played, you know, much better, like a much better game, or maybe it was the game plan. They were right up on the receivers, like jamming them at the line. You could just kind of tell that they were like flying around a little bit more. Maybe that was the, the defense as well. And I don't know, maybe it's part of it has to be with like Allen had a much better game and he's kind of uplifting the defense or whatever. I just thought the game plan for the defense was a lot better against the Bucks than it was against the Pats. Uh, and, um, yeah, that's all. I just thought, I, and I, I, moving forward, I hope that they play that way. Like, I think they really have to, to do that um, if they want to move forward against, uh, you know, future opponents like, um, like the Bengals this week. I think they have to kind of jam their receivers, and um, that's how they got to play to win. I'm not worried about the offense. I think they'll end up figuring that out. But defensively, this team has definitely struggled at times. Uh, you know, in play, big playoff games like against the Chiefs uh, in the last year against the Bengals. Right. So I think defensively, if we can kind of, you know, fly around a bit more, be a little more physical, um, that could take us from, you know, being a first or second round exit to maybe Super Bowl. So gotcha. I'll hang up and thank you guys. All right. Thanks, John. What do you think of that, Maddie? How did you think the two corners played last week yeah. against Tampa? I mean, they the team as as a whole defense allowed 18 points. They allowed 224 passing yards, uh, two passing touchdowns. But I I would agree with that. I I think they did a good job at at shutting guys down. Um, Evans only had 39 receiving yards. Uh, Godwin had 54 receiving yards. They each had a receiving touchdown. But those are two players that could break off and, and have big games because they are two good receivers. Um, so it was nice to see them limit guys like that. And and you think about going into a game against the Bengals and the receivers that they have and the fact that, oh, if, if you want to shut down Jamar Chase, well, they have Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. It's not just one guy that you have to worry about. You have to worry about more than one. Buccaneers had a couple guys that you have to worry about um, but you wonder what what Christian Benford and what Dane Jackson are going to do uh, against a Bengals team that this team lost to in the playoffs last year and had a hard time with um, this team has done in the past has done a good job with shutting down players like Tyreek Hill they have done uh, not this not just this season but seasons before as well so I believe they're capable of doing so but but having a, a nice tune-up against the Bucks where you were able to limit some of their better wide receivers, I think is is uh, good news for what's to come. Yeah, they and they did get up in the face of the receivers a little bit more. They were physical with them. I'm not going to have the breakdown of man-to-zone calls by head coach Sean McDermott from last week's game, but I, I felt similarly, John, that they were more physical. They did jam at the line of scrimmage more and played a little more press. Um, I like the fact that they were able to render Mike Evans a non-factor until the later stages of that game, and he catches a touchdown pass because the ball skims off Christian Benford's helmet and right into his hands. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a completion if it doesn't hit Benford's helmet. It literally ricocheted into Mike Evans' hands because the pass was a little off the mark to the left, in my opinion. And then Godwin, while he was active in the game, he didn't have any – I mean, he had the 31-yard catch. That was it. 
and I mean he had he had what is that thirteen yards or twenty one yards or twenty three yards on the rest of his on four other catches. four other catches. So it was a lot of underneath stuff, check down stuff because Buffalo's pass rush was getting home, and the reason that was happening was because the offense put points on the board early and forced Tampa to throw, and that's the formula exactly. going forward. Buffalo has to get on the scoreboard early and get ahead so that the best part and the healthiest part of Buffalo's defense can be productive, and that's their pass rush because that's arguably the healthiest part of their defensive unit right now. Um, I'm curious to see how the assignments are going to be dished out for the corners for the Bills this week in terms of whether they travel with specific players or just play a side. You know, they've been playing boundary and field side uh, Benford and Jackson have. I wonder if that continues. Let's go back to the phones and to Dan in Rochester. What do you got for us, Dan? You're on One Bills Live. Hi, Chris and Maddie. Hey, Chris, how you doing, Chris? Doing Great all right. Job. Good afternoon. Uh, I think Maddie asked, uh, answered my question. Uh, how do you think the Bears, the Bills are going to fare against Cincinnati? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a tough game. I, I do because I think Cincinnati's playing probably some of their best football all season now that they're healthy. Because it wasn't just Burrow. Higgins had a rib, a fractured rib. Yeah, he's that helping he was now. Trying to play through, and he was dealing with that. I saw Trey Hendrickson did have an ankle problem. One of their best pass rushers. He came out of the game in the second quarter, but he came back in the game. Didn't look like he had a problem. Uh, he was all over Brock Purdy. He had a pressure rate of over thirty-four percent all got by himself. Eight sacks so far this yeah. season, and he had another one uh, in Sunday's game against the Niners. So. It, it's a heavyweight matchup. I don't think there's any debate about that. And the, and the Bengals have had Buffalo's number. So you say, what's the biggest difference? The biggest difference is Sean McDermott's calling the defense now. And all that criticism we saw at the end of last season when people are saying Buffalo's defense was too passive against the Bengals' passing game and it was too easy, it was pitch and catch, something tells me it's going to be dramatically different this time around in terms of Bengals' offense, Bills' defense, but we'll have to see on Sunday night later this week. Got to take a break here, um, but when we come back, we've got more of your phone calls. So Mark in East Amherst is going to lead us off. 803-0550, the number to get on board. Taking your phone calls next here on a Monday without a Bills game Sunday on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Ah, snap! Snapdragon apples are now available. Fuel your game day adventures with Snapdragon apples now available at Wegmans and other local retailers. Snapdragon apples, the official apple of your Buffalo Bills. Look at that spooky graphic we've got for Halloween here. Monster Crunch and the whole thing. That's for Halloween themed for sure. Pretty cool. Uh, 803-0550, the number to get on board because we are talking a little AFC East now that we are pretty much at the halfway mark of this 2023 season, after watching all that you were able to watch on Sunday, knowing your Bills were not playing, how do you project the AFC East to play out the rest of the season? 803-0550-1888-550-2550. Bills are a game back of the Dolphins at 6-2. and two. Bills at 5-3. and three. And they have the head-to-head on Miami right now. They don't have it on the Jets, who are only a half game back after winning that horrible game yesterday that took us back to like 1973 <laughs> in overtime beating uh, the Giants improbably somehow some way uh just crazy 13 to 10 was that the final mm-hmm. more 
punts than points in that game. 24 punts, 23 total points. Amazing. Uh, and the Patriots are in the cellar, which I think is where everybody expects them to be come the end of the season. Just lost Kendrick Bourne for the year to an ACL. So things not going right in New England either. But you let us know. 803-0550-1888-550-2550. Got an open line for you there. How do you project the AFC East to play out the rest of the way? And we go back to the phones and to Mark in East Amherst. What do you got for us, Mark? Hey, Maddie and Chris. I hope you're doing well. Getting back to that giant jet game, I just wanted your take on something. In regulation towards the end of the game, it's fourth and one. The giant defense was playing super well, and the kicker already missed a kick. And I'm thinking, case scenario, if they don't make it, it takes a few more seconds off the clock, Mm -hmm. and the Jets have to drive to win that game. The other thing is, if they make the fourth and one, the game's over. So in my opinion, if it was up to me, I would have definitely went for it on fourth and one. And I just wanted to see how you guys think about that. What do you think about that? Yeah, they, they were talking about that after the game. There mm-hmm. is, there, that's another argument that you could have, and you'd have a leg to stand on, in my opinion, too, especially knowing, to your point, Mark, that Gano missed the first kick, and I had seen reports, at least on social media, that he was not 100% healthy. So you've got an injured kicker. Now, I understand the merits behind trying to kick a field goal, which I think was only 35, 36. It was 35-yard attempt, which is basically two yards longer than an extra point. Uh, I understand that, and he's certainly got the leg for it, but he did miss one earlier in the game. And if you get a yard with Saquon Barkley, the game's over, essentially. So one yard to end the game or a field goal kick to put the game out of reach because let's be honest, it was pretty much a field goal game back and forth the entire day. So even if you give up a field goal on a drive by the jets, you don't lose, you win by three. So I think there's merits for trying to get the points, but yeah, you want to just get a yard and close it out. You could have done that too. Yeah. 28 seconds left. You were on, um, the 26, jets 24, 17 yard, line. 17. Yeah. They're inside. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a decision that after this game, the way it played out with the loss, you look back and you probably say, mm, maybe if we're in a scenario like this again, maybe we decide to go for it on fourth and one, especially if you have a game where your field goal kicker has missed yeah. one already. And you have the lead. Um, yeah. And you're up you have 10-7. A- mm-hmm. so, and your defense had been playing lights out uh, to that point. Because the Jets' offensive line was a mess. They lost two centers in the game. So it was a disaster um, up front for them, and they were getting manhandled by that Giants' defensive front. So I, there is absolutely an argument for going forward on fourth and one. Yes. So I would agree with you, Mark. I think you, if you wanted to do that, I don't think it would have caused much of an uproar among the fan base, even if you didn't get it. Because then it's a turnover on downs, and you're talking 24, five seconds left to go 83 yards. Yeah. Uh, with the way that game was going on offense? I don't think so. I don't think that would have happened, <laughs> at least not for a touchdown. Maybe you get lucky, and you're in field, field goal range, range to yeah. kick it and force overtime. Maybe? Maybe? Because that is ultimately what they did after the missed field goal. Mm-hmm. The difference is they got the ball at the point of the kick which was the 26-yard line. So big difference 
it's an f- extra first down less you got to get. And then they had two pass plays, right? 29 yards and 29 mm-hmm. yards, and bang, they were in field goal range and tied the game up um, after the missed field goal. So, yeah, it's like Steve always says, if you did something and it didn't work, you should have done the other thing. That's how, pe- that's how fans are going to be when they're armchair quarterbacking on Monday. And I can't imagine what the talk shows are like in New York today <laughs> after that game. I don't think either, either team's fans are happy with the way that thing unfolded. That would have been an interesting post-game show to listen oh. in on. Oh, especially the Giants one. But I think the Jets one would have had their share of criticism as yeah. well uh, in light of how that game played out. But we want to know how you think the AFC East is going to play out the rest of the season. 803-0550, As you know, the Dolphins are in first place, a game ahead of Buffalo. And uh, the Bills are right behind, followed by the Jets. So those three teams, I think you can argue, are all still very much in the mix. Jets might be doing it a little bit with smoke and mirrors. But, you know, I think what also has to be examined is the state of the respective schedules. Right. That's what I was doing. For each of these teams the rest of the way. So which team are you looking at right now, Maddie, to see what they have still on the docket? I've got the Patriots up right now. Okay. So I was going to take a look at Miami I'll because take a look at the Jets. their schedule isn't nearly as bad as it was on the front end in terms of caliber of opponents because they do have Kansas City this coming week. That's no easy task. So you're hoping that that is a loss for Miami this week. It's at Kansas City, and the Chiefs are coming off a loss. So at Arrowhead – Chiefs a little ornery after playing a lousy game last week in their division. That's a tough one. Then they've got a bye. Raiders at home, that should be a win. At the Jets, that could be tough, knowing the Jets' defense is is pretty dang good and their top two corners are back healthy now Mm -hmm. after being in concussion protocol. At Washington, based on how the Bills played them, you wouldn't expect much of a fight there, but... Who knows? They kept it close with the with the Eagles yesterday. Mm-hmm. Is Tennessee a different team with Will Levis at quarterback? They get them the next week. Then Jets again. And then they got Dallas at home. That's not easy against that Dallas defense. No, they put up Baltimore a lot of on too. the road. And then the Bills, obviously, in week 18. So the roadie at Baltimore, the road game at the Jets and the road game at Kansas City, all difficult games. So it's going to be interesting to see where the – there's three trip-ups there for the Dolphins, I think. Do you think there are more? I mean, there's always more. Dallas is not an easy game either. So that might be another trip-up. Dallas is a harder game too. I mean, they get them in Miami, but still. What's that? Christmas Eve. Wow. Christmas Eve game, Dallas and Miami. And they got to play the Chiefs in Germany. That's right. It's in Germany. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. So yeah. it's not at Arrowhead. Well, they might get a break on that. Although the travel's not fun. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, yeah, that's the, the Bills went over this game. year. I forgot mm-hmm. it was in Germany for that one. Ooh, how's that gonna go? Yeah. Okay. So you take home field advantage out of it. All right, you have. So I have the Jets, Jets schedule up. up right now. Uh, this upcoming week, week nine, they are facing the Chargers. It's going to be a home game. Then they go to the Raiders, then Bills, Dolphins, 
Falcons, Texans. Uh. You see the Dolphins again. <laughs> then you got the Commanders, the Browns, and the Patriots. Right. So the Not Jets, the toughest, but no. you do have a few in there. You got a few in there. The Jets schedule was a bear at the front end because right. they had Buffalo, Dallas, New England, which always gives them problems, and then Kansas City, followed by Denver and Philly. So that the first six were which they tough. had three straight losses, and they got out of there at three one. and three mm-hmm. without their quarterback. Like that's a that's a victory. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned. Um. So it does lighten up for them. I mean, they still have to battle Buffalo and Miami, Miami twice. So that's not easy. And then closing the season out against the Patriots, or the regular season, I should yeah. say. I mean, the Chargers are the only other high-flying offense they got to worry about. Yeah. And they get them at home. So Jets' schedule is, is pretty favorable, all things considered. Cleveland's got a plucky defense, but... By week 17, the Browns may not care. Um, they are 4-3, and three, and it's due mainly to their defense. But I also wonder if the Jets look at a schedule like this and they factor in Aaron Rodgers' return according oh, to gosh. what the schedule looks like. Look, Can we wait? Can we I, wait? Are we going to make a playoff run? If so, let's hold on. I know Aaron Rodgers thinks he's superhuman. <laughs> And look, if he can pull it off, I'll be impressed. But man, that to me, I know maybe you can shorten the timeline with that new advanced procedure for an Achilles, but for a 40-year-old guy, I think that's a lot to ask. I really think it's going to be miraculous if he is fit to play by the wild card round of the playoffs, which is, you know, in January, as we know, um, mid-January, because the last game of the regular season is like January 7th weekend. Yep. But I would say it's it's fair to say the Jets certainly have an easier schedule than Buffalo or Miami the rest of the way, which is going to make things pretty interesting. But you let us know what you think, 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. How do you see the AFC East playing out the rest of the way after watching a ton of AFC football yesterday with the Bills not playing? 803-0550, the number to get on board. Open lines for you. We take a break. Back with more here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Buffalo Bills and American Heart Association are continuing their collaboration and will host a free hands-only CPR event on Sunday, November 5th during Cycle Nation. The event is free and open to all members of the Buffalo community from 3 to 6.30 p.m. in the Ad Pro Sports Training Center right here at One Bills Drive. Visit buffalobills.com slash CPR signup to learn more and to register. You did that last year, right? Like, the hands only. Have you done the hands only? No, I have not. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I was for. I couldn't do it here because I had a conflict. I think when we had it done here, we were at the combine last year, so that's why that's we didn't right. do it. There was something going on where. And I then they were do it. they were doing um they were doing one in my hometown, like just at the local oh, that's cool ambulance center, and I was like, it's only gonna take a half hour. I'm just gonna shoot over there. Yeah, why not? It's easy peasy. So if you got do a it. chance to do it, go do it. It only takes thirty minutes. And you'll learn how to do hands-only CPR in a snap. And it's, it's pretty easy, especially if, you know, you're some, somebody that's 
you know, maybe not a medical professional and you don't know about, you know, putting your mouth on somebody and doing the breaths and all that stuff. <laughs> this is a good alternative to learn how to do should something happen where you have to step in and take action. So equip yourself and make yourself ready. Uh, we are talking about the AFC East and how you think it is going to turn out. And we're going to go to the tweet sheet in terms of getting some commentary from you on what you think the AFC East is going to do for the last nine games of the regular season. Drew, and the tweet sheet, incidentally, brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. Drew leads us off and says, I don't expect this division to be won by any team with more than 10 wins, and I've got the Bills winning it. It's a tough schedule and a tough division, but they should get it done. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I'll tell you one thing. I'll feel a whole lot better if 10 wins is enough to get the division title because Buffalo at 5-3 and three would certainly have a lot more margin for error because we've seen some people, I've just seen some people on social media that are genuinely concerned. They're like, oh, my gosh, does this mean the Bills have to win six of their last nine with that schedule? I don't know if they can do that and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Maybe a, I, I'm kind of thinking 11 and 6 might be the low bar line to win the division. That's the that's what the Bills finished with in 2021. They were 11 and 6. That's right. Um and that's when they had some unfortunate losses also to mm -hmm. Jacksonville and Tennessee and the Tennessee loss cost them home field advantage. Yeah. Cuz Tennessee got home field advantage throughout the playoffs because of that one game. That was a big swing game. That's the game where Josh slipped on the fourth and goal at the end, and they lost 34-31. And that basically determined that Tennessee had home field. Um, but then they lost to Baltimore and were out. Mm -hmm. And then Kansas City lucked into getting home field advantage yet again with being the second seed. So, yeah, I, I kinda, I'm kind of thinking I agree with Drew's premise that a lot of these teams are going to beat beat up on each other, and it's going to Nobody's lower gonna ride the necessary in with like win total. Fourteen wins, exactly, yeah. or even thirteen. Yeah. Um, maybe there's a way Miami could flirt with twelve if you know they get hot and go on a roll. I I don't want that to happen. Yeah. And they still got to see. They the have Bills some again. tough games left, as we just saw in the last <laughs> segment. But. Boy, 10 and 7, if that wins it, I got to believe there's going to be tiebreakers involved if that happens. Yeah, I would think so. You know, so it's an interesting way to think about it, Drew. I, for some, something's telling me, though, it's going to take 11, but I don't think you're far off. Ron on the tweet sheet says it's going to be a battle all season and because of the competition in the division, but because we don't know how the Bills will perform on a week to week basis, they could earn the number one seed or they could barely get in as the six or seven. That's the thing that I think scares Bills fans the most, Maddie. the variance in play from week to week. I think we all want to believe that the offense has a handle on what they're doing now after their performance, at least through the first three quarters against Tampa. But with the topsy-turvy nature of their play, because what is that now? They've traded wins and losses each of the last five weeks, which speaks to the variance in play that they've had. Mm -hmm. That's a concern. And I, I go back to the 2021 season again here. And I know this team is different than when they were in 2021. I know they're older. There's, there's more veterans on this team. The veterans that were veterans in 2021 are even bigger roles within this team, have, have bigger leadership roles within this team. But 
that team in 2021 went back and forth win, wins and losses in the second half of the season and then finally figured it out in the second half of the Bucks game. It was a loss in overtime. A third straight loss. Yes. They fell to seven and six. Losing that game. But then they won four straight yep. and were able to make a run in the playoffs. Now and they were playing they, their best football. They were at the playing end of their the best season. football. And it was in that we talked a lot about not peaking too early, not peaking too early. And they, I remember thinking, you are peaking at the perfect time, mm-hmm. the final four weeks in the season. And then that was the game against the Chiefs that they lost. And. People say one of the best games ever played because there was scoring and scoring and scoring. and yeah. Hard for Bills fans to call it that because they didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just like back after Super Bowl twenty five, a lot of people were saying it was the greatest Super Bowl that had been played up to that point. And Bills fans are like, yeah, I'm not here for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not here for that. Yep. Um, so I don't I, – I say that to say – it's it's wins and losses here right now, but I believe this team is is older and wiser in the way they go about their business and mm-hmm. in the connections that they have with each other that they will be able to course correct because we know this coaching staff and this team has done a great job of that in the past. So I believe they can do it even more now, two years older than when they were in 2021. Yeah. How do you project the AFC East to play out the rest of the season? Got to watch a lot of other football yesterday. Maybe you got an opinion on that. You let us know. 803-0550-1888-550-2550. The number to get on board. But we take a break here. We're back with more of your phone calls. We've also got the Matty Awards coming up, which we never got to on Friday after Thursday's game. We were a little jam-packed on Friday. We knew Matty would be here Monday, so we'll roll them out. When we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to hour number two here on a Monday. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you, and it is that time. We usually do this the day after a victory with the Thursday night win. We got all discombobulated, and we had a shorter <laughs> show on Friday. It was only two hours. We were jam-packed. So we decided, knowing Maddie was going to be here filling in for Steve today, that we would do the Maddie Awards coming off the win over the Bucks today. Yeah, and the Maddie Awards are presented by Energy Mark, the official energy supplier to the Buffalo Bills. So 
You got a little extra time to prep this one, Yeah, Maddie. we had some time. We have some other awards to give out around the NFL as well since we got to watch some games this weekend. But why not relive a fun Week 8 victory? So first award is going to Dalton Kincaid. Ain't no rook. He did not look like a rookie against the Bucks. He finished with uh, five catches for 65 receiving yards and had his first NFL touchdown, which was so fun to see him jump in the crowd and the party with Bill's Mafia for a little bit. He was targeted seven times and was aligned all over the place. He was aligned tight in the slot, wide, and even in the backfield. He played 83.8% of the offensive snaps, which is good for a career high for him. Uh, he's going to have a bigger role the next few weeks with Dawson Knox not being a part of the lineup due to injury. Uh, so you you like to see a game like this out of a rookie. I mean, he was up to the challenge. He answered. He was effective. He was a difference maker. He's caught a great amount of his targets. His catch percentage has got to be really high. I know it ranks um, up with the top in the NFL. And to have that stat as a rookie, I mean, we knew he had great hands coming in to the NFL because of what we saw from his college tape, but he is proving that that is true. He's catching balls that Josh Allen puts on him, and and some of the catches he had in that game against the Bucks. I think about that one near the sideline where it was like, wow, this guy looks like he's played a lot of basketball in his life because of the way that he's able to jump up and get a ball and and stay inbounds. So I loved what I saw out of him, and it left me wanting to see more because at this point in the season, we're heading into week nine. Uh, He was drafted in the first round by this team, and and I think we're all waiting like, okay, what what is it going to look like for him? What what is it going to look like? And I know it's been a slow rollout, but let him go now in the second half of the season because he's proved that he can really help this team out. Yeah, 13 receptions the last two games. He had been one of the top three targeted players all along, and that was even with missing a game, being in the concussion protocol. So I don't know why. It just – the last two weeks feel different, like in in more of a big play kind of way. Yeah, because he was catching those short passes. A lot of the stuff was underneath shorter shorter stuff, so good to see him involved in a little bit more and being aligned everywhere. I mean, that speaks to the football IQ that you have that you can align in several different places. All right, next up, El Capitan. El Capitan. Josh Allen looked like a captain on Thursday night football. He stays undefeated on Thursday 6-0. He looked confident. He looked energized. He looked like he was having a great time. He looked like himself out. Out there. He got involved in the rushing game, which we heard from Ken Dorsey the next day, and he said, look, Josh Allen is an is a unique player. He's great at throwing the football. He's also great when he runs with it in his hands, and we have to get him involved in both of those things. And I think you saw the best version of Josh Allen on Thursday Night Football because he was doing both of those things. And I think this this type of quarterback, Josh gets into a rhythm when he when he runs the rock a little bit. He gets into a rhythm when he starts to feel the defense. And we've heard him say before, you know, I like to take a hit to get into things. He doesn't need to take a lot of hits. He did a good job sliding when he was running with the football. And I think the coaching staff loved to see that out of him uh, on 
On Thursday night, he had the quickest time to throw in his NFL career, but he did have time in the pocket when he needed it. The offensive line did a great job protecting for him. Uh, He completed 77.5% of his passes. He spread the ball around. It was just an all-around great game by the quarterback. I think a game that we've seen him have multiple times, but it was good to see him have after this team has gone win-loss, win-loss in the last five weeks. All right, next up is the Slam Dunk Award. Slam Dunk to the up-tempo offense because it worked. I loved seeing the Bills start fast. The last few weeks when this team got into like a two-minute drill situation, they were moving the ball well, and I love that Ken Dorsey noticed that and then decided to implement it into the first part of this game, knowing that the team was struggling to score in the first half on the first drive. Heading into last week's game, they were averaging 3.3 points per first half. Not great. They go way over that in, in this game against the Bucks, and it seemed like it it really helped them get into a rhythm. I know they didn't score a touchdown on that first drive, but they did have a nice 10-play drive going that ended in a field goal. And it seemed like they were dictating to the defense saying, this is what we're going to do. How about you react to what we're going to do instead of the, the other way around, instead of saying, let's see what the defense is going to do, and then we're going to figure out what we want to do. It seemed like they put their stuff out there. They are going to say, no, we're running this, and you can decide how you want to defend us. And I love that because I think it added to their confidence. So kudos to Ken Dorsey for starting out that way and for the game he called, too. He spread the ball around. I loved different guys getting involved. It, it seemed like... Like the Bills' offense that we know and love, and we know that it can be that week in, week out. Okay, so now there is a round of applause award. How about a round of applause to my guy Khalil Shakir? He got targeted six times, kept caught all of his six targets for 92 receiving yards, the leader of the pack on the stat board. Um, career game for him. He's loved by his teammates and people in this building, so I think it's so great to see him involved in an offensive game plan like this. Um, he had some great yak yards on Thursday, and that uh, this offense uh, really loves yak yards. They've been doing a really good job of that this year. It's something they've focused on in the last few season, seasons when they haven't been ranked that high in that category, so it was great to see his run and catch ability. I want to see more out of him. He was drafted to be on this team for a reason, and I loved seeing him get involved, and, and I would love to see more out of him as well because I think he's a he's a talented receiver, and I know in training camp he was he was up and down with the practices that he had, but I think this, this coaching staff and this team has a lot of confidence in him, and I just love to see it for a guy like this because he is he's such a great dude. He's just kind of shifty, and he has a lot of route savvy, but it, it was a single-game career high for catches and yards. Mm-hmm. Six catches was the best for him, and so was 92 yards. All right, the dog award. D-A-W-G, dog. That is going to Shaq Lawson for blocking the field goal early on in the game. A big-time play. Who knows? This game could have played out differently if that field goal was not blocked and the Tampa Bay Bucks were able to get three more points on the scoreboard. I loved the way he celebrated. <laughs> Before we even knew it was a block, it was like, I think that might have been a block because yep. Shaq Lawson is is eating this moment up and is running all over the field, celebrating. Sean McDermott said he wasn't too humble and hungry in that moment. I laughed out loud at that. Did you see how he decked Matt Smiley, the special teams coordinator, (laughs) when he came to the the sideline? I didn't know that happened. I saw somebody tweet about Smiley, and I was like, oh, what happened? He comes to chest bump him after he blocks the kick. He comes to chest bump him and... (laughs) He forgot that Shaq's a 275-pound human, and he decks him onto the ground. (laughs) 
Uh, it was pretty funny. I I didn't see it initially until the Friday I show, and now. I was watching. I was like, "Who did he just knock down?" <laughs> he was so excited. Um, the epic, Stealth epic. Mode Award. Stealth Mode is going to our punter Sam Martin. He was in Stealth Mode. He had four punts, and out of those four, multiple were down within the ten. I mean, you can be a total weapon. When you have punts like that and when you can flip the field like that, when you make it harder on an offense to move the ball down the field, you need things like this from special teams. We need this. We need them to perform at a high level. And we saw that in the Thursday night game against the Bucks. And to do it consistently now, I think would be amazing for this team because we hear coach talk about all three phases of the game and working together, complimentary football. It really makes a difference and it made a difference in this one. And you would love to see it make a difference against the Cincinnati Bengals, who seem to have figured it out this past week, of course, scoring over 30 points. If they're going to try to do that against the Bills, giving them terrible field position is going to help the Bills. So really want to see what Sam Martin and this special teams can do moving forward because we need it out of them. Hopefully it's not because they're punting. Hopefully it's because the Bills are kicking off because they scored. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But yes, I thought that might have been their best game all season, not only in terms of giving the opponent long fields, but Tyler Bass got back on Mm -hmm. track after a rough couple of games, and Deontay Hardy even had a long return. To set him up on a short field for the offense, and they went in and scored. So all good under the hood for special teams last week. The shout-out award. All right, I'm shouting out Will Levis for the job he did in his NFL debut, 19 of 29, 238 passing yards and four touchdowns. Oh, my gosh. And a win over the Falcons. Could he revive some things with the Tennessee Titans? We will see. This guy is a guy who had to wait on draft night, gets drafted in the second round um, of the 2023 NFL draft. You remember watching the draft and everybody kept cutting back to him and the shots of him in the green room not getting called on night one and and partly into night two or round two as well. So happy for him and the NFL debut he had linking up with D-Hop for three passing touchdowns, four total uh, for an NFL debut performance. It's pretty incredible. All right, and the last one, the Hats Off Award. Hats off to the Broncos beating Kansas City. Bills fans rejoice when they see the Kansas City Chiefs get a loss, especially to a team like the Broncos. The Bills are going to have to face the Chiefs and the Broncos this season. Haven't done that yet. Uh, 24-9. to the Broncos hold the Chiefs to this, to just nine points. Their defense did a great job in the last two weeks. Their defense has done a lot better job. Uh, so we'll see what the story is going to be for the Broncos as they're sitting three and five here heading into week nine. They get a bye week this week, I believe. We were talking about that earlier. Um, and then the Chiefs six and two. Hey, losses, losses help us all out here for the Chiefs. So happy for the Broncos to get a win against the Chiefs doing the Lord's work. All right. So those are the Maddie Awards presented by Energy Mark for week eight. And uh, we also have uh, some reports out there right now. And uh, Jordan Schultz from Bleacher Report was the first to put this out there. He's saying that Leonard Fournette, he's spoken to him and he said that Fournette told him he's in Buffalo and planning to sign with the Bills today pending a physical. This is Jordan Schultz from uh, Bleacher Report reporting this. We'll see if that, in fact, has legs going forward. 
Um, it would be interesting. It might, if that in fact does come to pass, it might say something about uh, the rest of the season for Damian Harris as well, knowing he's on IR. He's got to miss four games. But what happens between now and the end of the season uh, at that position as well? So we'll keep our ear to the ground on that. And when something's official, we'll obviously let you know. 803-0550, We're talking how you think the AFC East is going to play out the rest of the way here as we are about at the halfway turn of the 2023 season. And waiting patiently is Tony in New York City. What do you got for us, Tony? Hey, Chris. Uh, Chris, first I want to say that uh, I've been a New York Jets fan since they were the Titans. So I remember rooting against Jack Kemp and Albert Dominion and Cookie. Oh, wow. But that, yeah, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I think Miami is going to win our division. And the reason I feel that is uh, these guys are loaded uh, in terms of talent. Uh, they're loaded at on both sides of the ball. Uh, and unlike other teams, uh, they don't have guys who are out for the entire season because of injuries. So I, I think, uh, I think Miami's going to take it. Uh, I, hey, I saw the game when you chopped them up in Buffalo early in the year. Uh, if the last game in a regular season means something, uh, I, I think they're going to return the favor. It's possible. I think your Jets have them twice, right, Tony? They still got to play them twice. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, their their offensive line is still a little bit of a patchwork deal. Your defensive front might have their way with them if if their corners can cover on the back end even for a half second longer. You know what I mean? Right, right. No, the Dolphins at this time definitely have a few guys that are banged up on their offensive line like like a lot of other teams. Uh, but, you know, those guys are going to come back, okay? Yeah. So, so they might have uh, – and it, it bothers me that they're playing in – I wish they were playing Kansas City in Kansas City as opposed to playing them in Germany. You know? Yeah. I, 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 yeah. But, but that being said, uh, they got a lot of guys. You saw Jalen Ramsey come back. Xavier and Howard's going to come back. That'll solidify their secondary. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think uh, uh, Miami's the, the team to beat in our division. All right, fair enough, Tony. You've got uh, some good uh, arguments there to back up your point. So, yeah, they're, <laughs> Dolphins are for real. I don't think there's any question about that. They're, they're going to hang around. I mean, even with some of those injuries on their offensive line, and Tony did make a good point, they, they don't have guys out for the season Yeah, like the Bills do. They're getting guys back the like Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, let's go to Mike in Evans next. What do you got for us, Mike? Hey, I just wanted to talk about uh, the same thing. Uh, I think the Bills are going to win the division. Uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see them run the table. Uh, but if they don't run the table, they'll lose one more game, in my opinion. Uh, as far as Miami's concerned, I don't think Miami is going to win the division, and I think they're going to have a hard time even getting into the playoffs. You're going to start seeing them fall pretty quickly. What makes uh, you feel that way, Mike? Week. Well, I think Kansas City's going to, going to absolutely uh, destroy them. Uh, because they're a good team, and Miami can't beat good teams. Uh, I think that the New England Patriots are going to be in third place, and the Jets are going to be in fourth place. Wow. It's going to be Buffalo, Miami, 
New England and the Jets, as far as I'm concerned. As far as this weekend's game is concerned, uh, I think that the Bills are going to win, and I think the reason the Bills are going to win is because of the pass rush. I think you're going to. I think Vaughn Miller is probably going to end up playing a little bit more than uh, than he has, because I think the Bills did a good job trying to, you know, ease him back so he doesn't get injured again. But I think he is going to be an absolute monster against uh, against Cincinnati this week, and. Uh, I think that the pass rush, we're going to end up with somewhere between six and seven sacks on Burrow. And then the last thing I have to say is I think our offense has got to start running the ball right at Henderson. They can't run it away from run it right at him. And uh, I think you're going to see the Bills probably put up 30, 35 points. Wow. I don't think Cincinnati will put up 17. Okay, Mike. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. What do you think of that, Maddie? There's I mean, a lot to unpack there. That would be We talked great. a lot about Cincinnati, but also his division order yep. was Bills, Miami, New England, Jets. What do you think of that? I think it's uh, I think the Patriots Jets part of that is is interesting, um, <laughs> just because of where they're sitting at right now. Yeah. And I want to because they're up two the games Jets. behind the Jets. Yeah, I want to pull up the Patriots schedule right now and see their end of the season. Uh, so they got the Chargers still. They've got the Chiefs still. They've got the Jets still. So Patriots Miami. And the New York Jets, they all have a few tough games yeah. still left on the schedule. I think the most interesting thing that he said in his entire presentation, if you will, because he went on for about two and a half minutes there, was that he said the Dolphins have not beaten any good teams. And for the most part, he is correct. Their two losses are to Philly and Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So... I, re- I remember heading into the Philly game, the combined record of all the teams that Miami beat was 4-22. and 22. Um, Now, I think they might have one decent win in there. Because who did they beat last week? Or did they lose to Philly last you week? You could argue their best win is the Chargers week one the of Chargers the season. The Chargers game. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the Chargers are still trying to climb out of a hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really haven't beaten many good teams either. So, because other than that, they've beaten the Patriots twice, the Broncos, the Giants, and the pa- the Panthers. Yeah, so that's a no. Yeah, that's a no on all their wins. So it's a, it's a fair point, and yeah, I think it is. You talk about okay, the, the Dolphins could finish second. I mean, hopefully, the Bills are are number one in the AFC East. You look back to last season, and the Dolphins started out. Pretty hot, and yeah. then they they, had a five they lost stretch where they were mowing five straight down. games from week thirteen to week seventeen against the 49ers, Chargers, Bills, Packers, right. and that's Patriots. When Tua got hurt, yeah. right? And you look to the end of their season this year; they do still have the Jets twice. They've got the Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Bills. So a few in there, maybe not yeah. as tough as last year. And you know, Tua looks to be healthy at this point in the season. Right. Let's get back to the phones and go to Neil in North Carolina next. What do you got for us, Neil? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Chris, I wanted to tell you it's very enjoyable listening to you on the radio. 
you are you are getting like John Sterling esque with oh, some wow. of the things you were saying. So uh, really enjoyable. Thank As, you. As uh, the division, this game is a huge game. I think if they beat Cincinnati, they can build off of that, and I can see them not running the table, but I can see them doing like seven and two for the last nine games if they can get running and going and continue going the offense. I think they need to be able to pick up somebody who can clog up the middle on defense for the run attack. Yeah. So or Neil, I'm getting the sense I'm getting the sense from you, Neil, that you were very encouraged by the offensive output last week and because I, I I'm feeling like you and our last caller believe there's some momentum to be gained from that. Absolutely. And and whoever changed it up, whoever made the decision, uh, kudos to whoever did it. I will say they have to stop the first and goal or second and goal in the shotgun. Whether he likes it or not, he's a quarterback. He's a quarterback for a team, and he's got to do what's best for the team. And I think if they would have handed the ball off to Murray with him behind the center, Murray's in for a touchdown. Okay. But being in that situation, he's five yards. I just think they've got to be smarter on those calls. But, yeah, I think they've got a great opportunity. they got a lot more people involved. Uh, Shakir looked uh, great. It's just – it looked really, really good. And Gabriel, Gabriel Davis, doing those different patterns. Yeah, and cutting shorter across routes, the yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, that was awesome. So, hopefully, if they can keep that rolling – I can see him winning the division. It's going to be them in Miami. All right. Thanks no very doubt. much for the call, Neil. Appreciate that. What do you think about that, Maddie? Because that's the second straight caller we've had who believes what we saw in last week's game against Tampa was a sign of things to come in successive weeks. They really think they're going to be able to build off the offensive performance that we saw for three quarters. That was, I mean, that was pretty encouraging. That looked like the Bills' offense we've been used to seeing the last three years. I know. I've been, <laughs> I loved seeing what they did on offense and it seemed like and not that they're it seemed like they figured out to a to a degree of okay this is this is the team that we know and love but it not like uh it's the first time we've seen this from this offense because we know what this offense looks like when they're operating at a high level and I believe what they did against the Bucks and 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 going up tempo a little bit and and spreading the ball out and getting guys involved and and Josh getting to use his legs a little bit. I I think that's all these are all things that allow this team to be really hard to beat. And why why not believe that they could do this going forward, uh, especially when they're going to start facing tough teams? I mean, you got the Bengals up next. You're going to see the Jets again here soon enough. You got the Eagles and you got the Chiefs. And, and at this point in your season, you want to be in your bag in terms of the offensive play calls that you're uh-huh. making. And I hope that we see a lot more of this going forward because it looked like this offense was operating how it should, how we know, how we love, and how the NFL has kind of gotten accustomed to this team being a threat on offense because of guys like Josh Allen. And and some new faces, too, that we saw get involved. Dalton Kincaid, Khalil Shakir, Stefan Diggs still had a great game. He still was a big factor. But you've got a lot of guys out there that you can help spread the ball to. James Cook was a factor as well. And, and to see more guys get involved, it makes it harder on a defense for sure. Yeah, I, I'm... I'm encouraged by what we saw last week. It didn't finish great because in the fourth quarter, there was like a field position battle to play. The defense was playing well and locking it down. 
So I understand some of the decisions that were made there in terms of punts instead of go for it. Um, I would like to think against a higher caliber opponent, they'll be more aggressive right. knowing they got to keep scoring. And I'm confident that that will happen. Um, I would say out of all of the positivity we heard in the last two calls, the only thing that I worry about is the effectiveness of Buffalo's pass rush against this Cincinnati offense because Burrow gets the ball out so quick. So quick. And that's what we saw last year. But maybe a more aggressive approach than the one we saw in last year's playoffs on defense mm-hmm. will make a difference. At least that's the hope anyway. Break time for us here, but open lines for you at 803-0550, the number to get on board as we want to know from you how you see this AFC East division playing out the rest of the way after all the non-Bills football you watched over the weekend. 803-0550 to get on board. More of your phone calls when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on a Monday, One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Matty Glab here on a Monday, and Matty will be in Tuesday as well. So uh, we'll re-rack it and do it all for you again tomorrow as well, although we won't be on until 1 p.m. on Tuesday. But we want to get back to the phones at 803-0550, the number to get on board. Got an open line for you there. As we want to know from you, after watching all the non-Bills football over the weekend, how do you think this AFC East division is going to play out the rest of the way. We're pretty much at the halfway turn. So over the last nine games, how do you see the AFC East shaking out in terms of division finish? We go back to the phones and waiting patiently. There is Ronnie on a cell. What do you got for us, Ronnie? Hi, Maddie. Hey, um, I'm, I'm just curious being as though the deadline for the draft or for uh, the trade is coming right. up. Do you think uh, Bean is going to try and pull out anything? I, I see you guys were saying that for Fournette's in uh, possibly going to be signing due to a physical. We'll see what happens with that. But do you think he's going to try and get us a corner, uh, like even trade for? Uh, I, I'm I'm thinking like Denver, uh, Sertan. Uh, I'm just thinking somebody that you know is really well worth the weight in gold if you're going to pay him, even if it ends yeah. up just being a rental for, for the rest of the year? Yeah, uh, it's, I think corner's tough only because, Ronnie, as you know, it's a high-priced position. Um, so to get anybody worth a ton in terms of talent, you'd have to get him on a rookie contract. Now, Sertan is that, but the interesting thing was Sean Payton was just asked at his day after press conference today about any trade possibilities, and he said, we are absolutely not shopping anyone on our roster. And after winning two in a row, they probably feel like, hey, nine games left. Maybe we can make a run at this right. thing. So hope springs eternal after two straight victories, and now they're not s- selling anybody. Now, that could also just be posturing where he's trying to put the message out there like, nope, we're not shopping anybody. So if you have any interest in one of our guys, you better come with a big offer if you want to change our mind. So it could be posturing in that way also. You never really know. You're right that Sertan's affordable because he's still on his rookie contract, but I can't see the Broncos, with the way the defense played yesterday against the Chiefs, holding them to nine points, that they're going to want to part with arguably the best corner in football on 
a cost-effective contract. Um, that's not how you get These better. These two by things throwing, are not alike. That's not how you get better by throwing people like that overboard. Yeah. So I, I'd be very surprised. Now, uh, a name that has been thrown out there uh, and who also, incidentally, just lost his starting job in Pittsburgh is former Bills corner Levi Wallace. Now, that's a name that's been floated around out there, um, you know, amongst reporters, and he's affordable. Because I think he makes $4 million base this year. So on a prorated deal for your last nine games, that's barely over $2 million. And knowing the Bills have super limited cap space, that's a guy you could fit under, knows the defense, walking in the door, yep. and certainly was well-liked by the coaching staff. So that might be an option. I don't know. But maybe, maybe Pittsburgh wants depth at the position and say, no way, Jose. You know, so we'll have to see. But... I, I can say I'm pretty confident Brandon Bean's going to be working the phones because if he thinks there's the smallest chance of making his roster better and it doesn't cost him an arm and a leg, he's going to explore it and investigate it for sure. We always hear him say that. I'm going to do whatever I can to make this roster better at any point in the season when I'm allowed to. And this team loves competition at different levels, and they love it within position groups. And if they believe they have somebody that can help with that and not cost a lot, It'll happen. Yeah. Let's uh, get back to the phones. We go to Dan in Erie next. What do you got for us, Dan? Hey, I know that uh, it's going to be the Bills and the Dolphins for the rest of the way for the division title. Will any chance of Matt Milano and Daquan Jones coming back for the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, we still have not been given full clarity, Dan, on exactly what Milano's injury is. We know it's a lower leg injury. Um, some reporters have floated out, I think like that the leg was fractured or broken. Some national reporters I'm talking about now, um, whether there was any ligament damage, we just don't know because we never got full details officially on the injury. So it's hard to gauge what his prognosis is, um, without knowing the full details of, of the injury. We know what Daquan Jones injury is. That's a torn pectoral muscle and the timetable on that can be um, about 8 to 10 weeks. So <laughs> you can do the math there. He did it in week 5. If you add 10 weeks to that post-surgery, which was probably the following week, maybe he's ready to come back in the playoffs at some point. Because I remember um, John Feliciano tore his pec as a member of the Bills the week before report day. And he missed five weeks of camp, four or five weeks of camp, and he missed the first five games of the season. So it took him 10 weeks. So every case is different. Some guys take longer than others. But if you ask me, and I'm guessing because I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on the radio, um, I would, not knowing Matt's injury, it's hard to know what his prognosis is. I would say maybe there's an outside chance Daquan gets back for postseason. Yeah. And I think because we haven't heard from the coaching staff otherwise that they're not ruling these guys out for the, the entire season, that there is a chance. And that's always good because that means there's a little bit of hope yeah. for both of them to come back. Um, we know that they're both back in the building, too. Uh, Daquan Jones was back in the building first. Sean has said he's been around and, and he was at um, the last home game before the Bucks game. Mm -hmm. And then we also know that Matt Milano has been back around the building, too, which is great. Yeah. 
Let's get back to the phones, though, at 803-0550, and to Jeff in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Jeff? Oh, hi, guys. Uh, I wanted to start off by saying, um, Maddie, you just add so much to the show whenever you're on, and I would love to see you come on every day if possible, but that's all I have to say about that. Um, especially your, your award sections. There I, you I, go. I Thank you. Thank you. Um, and also, I wanted, to, I wanted to say, there's a couple guys on the Bills who I think uh, can really add something to the, uh, to the offense if they played them more this way. Deontay Hardy, for example, mm-hmm. I think uh, could be a great slot receiver uh, if, you, if they wanted to use him that way, in a Beasley kind of way. And he, he's a tough little guy, and he's fast as hell. And I think that would be a great addition and also Dalton Kincaid, as as a, almost a wide out kind of thing, he can outrun defensive backs. I've seen him. I saw him do it in college against uh, USC yeah. in that bowl game. I mean, he just outran defensive backs, and I think you know they could they could stretch the field with this guy along with Gabe Davis. Uh, he could be big play Dalton. Uh, so that's all I have to say about that. And uh, I think the Bills are going to you know next week against the. Uh, Bengals is going to be a real telltale because uh, they looked great yesterday. Yeah, they did. So, You're right okay. about that, Jeff. All right, thanks for the call and for the kind words for Maddie as well. Um, yeah, I would say that what we're looking at is kind of the I don't want to say maturation, that's not the right word, but the diversification of the offense is kind of unfolding before our eyes here. And I would say if you're going to pick a favorite to be the slot going forward, just going off of last week's production, Khalil Shakir is mm-hmm. in the mix there, most definitely. Um, not coincidentally, his number is the same as Beasley's was when he first got <laughs> here. He eventually switched to 11, Beasley did, but his first year here, he was number 10 as well. So I think he's kind of stepped forward and say, hey, look at me and what I can do, you know, working in any area of the field, but particularly the middle of the field. I know he had some sideline grabs last week as well, but he did work the middle of the field effectively. And if you have him and Kincaid working the middle of the field, now you're really dangerous because you're forcing defenses to play the full width of the field. Right. Whether it's Diggs or Davis outside and now Kincaid and Shakir in the middle. And I think those are the two guys that probably have the greatest chance of having larger roles on a more consistent basis going forward. Hardy will have his place. I just don't get the sense it's going to be as regular as perhaps Shakir's will going forward based on what he put on display last week. And not to mention, he also is a a punt returner for the team as well, which is an additional role. Yeah. And hopefully he'll have that role as a punt returner and continue to make an impact. I mean, it was great to see what he was able to do last week and, and hopefully what he can do going forward as well. We have to step aside here, but we're still taking your phone calls at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. How do you think this division is going to shake out as we are at the halfway point just about here on the 17-game schedule, nine games to go? How do you think it's going to shake out one through four? You let us know at 803-0550. We're back with more of your phone calls in a second here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
right, welcome back to One Bills Live, and we want to remind you, Ticketmaster is the presenting sponsor of the Buffalo Bills 2023 season. Ticketmaster, the official ticket marketplace of the NFL, asking you to handicap the AFC East for the rest of the way. Nine games to go in the regular season. Dolphins with a one-game lead on the Bills, and the Jets a half game back of Buffalo with New England in the celly. So you let us know how you think this is going to shake out the rest of the way and whether the order stays the same, how much it changes, who wins the whole thing. 803-0550, We thought this would be a good question to ask, knowing you watched a lot of non-Bills football yesterday. So let us know what you think. We go back to the phones and to Jay in North Buffalo. What do you got for us, Jay? Morning, guys. Uh, technically, happy Victory Monday. So Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll take it. Um, just in terms of uh, the division, you know, I, I really feel like, you know, we're still the favorites because, I mean, the Dolphins still haven't beaten anybody, you know, and we seem to play up to our level of competition. I know a lot of people are very concerned about the back half of the schedule. I really think those bigger games just kind of bring, bring out the best in us. Um, so I, I really see us still running away with the division, especially considering the Jets almost lost to a team with negative passing yards yesterday, which is astonishing. Um, and then the Patriots are the Patriots. They're laughable, and it's, and it's great. So that's how I see the division shaking out. And just in terms of the trade deadline, I think we're going to stand pat. I mean, maybe make a couple minor moves, add some depth in the defensive back end, linebacker, secondary, but we still have key guys that need to make an impact on this team. Von Miller, especially Kincaid, you know, he's coming around. I think they're finding roles for Shakir, Hardy, you know, so I, I really and truly feel like we have the talent on this roster. This is easily the, Bill, the best Bills roster I can ever recall. So I just don't really see the value in adding somebody, especially on offense where, we already have enough guys that, quote-unquote, need to get the ball more. So, what, you're going to bring in Hopkins and try to force him? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. I'll up and listen to your comments. Yeah, good call, Jay. Uh, a lot of good stuff in there. And I would tend to agree because Steve and I, for most of the offseason, were talking about how this roster was even better than the one that they had last year. It just hasn't materialized yet. And I think we finally saw signs of that, offensively speaking, last week against Tampa. And... Also last week against Tampa, Von Miller gets his most snaps in a game, 27, almost had a sack, and we saw him kind of... He had a quarterback hit. We saw some flashes of the Von that we've seen before. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he's very far off right now. No, and I've gotten pretty frustrated about how people have... Zero patience? Yes. I mean, you, you guys, he he tore his ACL, and I, I know it might have not been a full tear, but this is an older player in the NFL who's gone through injuries before. It's It takes a year to recover. and We're not at Thanksgiving yet. And we're not at Thanksgiving yet, and he's already out there, and of course there's going to be a ramp-up period, and maybe there needs to be an even longer ramp-up period for him based on, based on this injury or based on the age or, or based on whatever. But we don't need to act like we know what's best for Von Miller, and we don't need to act like he should be 
he should have four sacks by now or three sacks by now. Like, let the guy have a ramp-up period. Let him get comfortable. Let him let him get back to feeling like he's he's in his own skin again and feeling like he can be an effective pass rusher. And it's not like they're desperate for him. This this unit has been playing at such a high level. They're top two in the NFL in sacks right now. And that's been without Von Miller. They can afford to wait until he's ready to go. And And I hate when people get on his back about being positive he talks to the, to the media yeah. and he says I'm I believe I can have my best game you know I, I believe this is going to be my best week yet and then people crucify him in comments because he isn't out there having two or three sacks like just wait just wait it's gonna happen yeah. I believe it can happen he is such a great NFL player he can do things this year that push him farther into the top in the NFL of his time for sacks. He's got a huge number. He will continue to get more this season, and it hasn't been a year yet. So so let's just wait till that year happens for us to pass some judgment on a guy who's been out for a long time and is getting back into the swing of things. And let him be positive. Let him be positive about his comeback, about how he feels. We don't know how he feels. We don't know what he goes through every single day. So don't get on his back about it. It drives me crazy. I can tell. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he's a great guy. He's working so hard to come back. Yeah, he is a good dude, too. We know he's doing all he can. And we know this coaching staff is going to put him in a great position to be able to be that difference maker when they feel like the time is right. And there will be a time this season where that happens. 123 and a half sacks in his career, and I'm pretty sure he's going to get some more before this year is out. And then in addition to that, uh, some of the other stuff that Jay mentioned, you know, he said he only expects minor tweaks here at the deadline, and I would be inclined to agree with that. You know, a lot of people have said add a receiver, add a receiver, add a receiver. I think what we're seeing is the diversification of the offense through more defined roles, and we got a peek at that last Thursday night. Maybe Shakir is going to – you know, find his way into that primary slot role. Maybe Dalton Kincaid will get a few more downfield routes or up the seam and make more 15 to 20 yard pass plays instead of five to 10 yard pass plays. So I think if we just let this thing percolate a little bit, maybe the Bills are playing their best football when it's most important to be playing it in the meat of their schedule. And the last thing that Jay mentioned that I would tend to agree with too, based on what we've seen so far this season, Maddie, is the Bills have, for the most part, risen to the caliber of their opponent and played some of their best football against some of the toughest opponents. Now, the Jets might be the exception. If you think the Jets are a very good team, they are 4-3 and three without their starting quarterback. That's pretty impressive as far as I'm concerned. Um, but they played their best game of the season against Miami, and that's a team that's in first place in the division. I think Bills fans would sign up for that to continue because that means playing the likes of Cincinnati, Kansas City, and Philadelphia and Dallas, you're going to play your best football too. And I think they're going to need to if they want to win more of those than they lose. Got to take a break here, but when we begin our number three, we're going to have our good friend Eric Wood in here with us to talk about that Thursday night game and how we see things going forward for this Bills team over those last nine regular season games. Eric Wood coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
on Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number three here on a Monday, and joining us now is my broadcast partner on the Bills Radio Network. It is one Eric Wood joining us here on the show. And a little bit more removed, Eric, from uh, the last game since it was on Thursday night. But still in all, you know, Manny and I have discussed this with some of our callers as well. Maybe the best thing to come out of that game was the diversification and what appeared to be the defining of roles in Buffalo's passing game. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with that. And I was extremely impressed with the offense uh, throughout the night. You know, they kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit late. Maybe the execution wasn't quite there in the fourth quarter. Looked like they were going to run away with it for a moment, um, you know, early in that third quarter, midway through the third quarter. But yeah, to me, to have guys like Shakir step up, Kincaid second week in a row, Gabe Davis with with some um, uh, almost opposite place from what we're used to seeing with him. They're throwing screens out to him because he's generally going to get the off coverage because they think he's running down the field on most routes, and that's what we've seen. And so they get it to him on the outside and let Diggs block for him. And I just loved um, – you, you said it, the diversity, but I love the game plan from Ken Dorsey. It started – from the very beginning when they mix in the up-tempo, no-huddle offense, they kind of go in and out of a fast pace. Even if uh, they're in no-huddle, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to snap the ball right when you get to the line of scrimmage. Sometimes they did. Other times they let Josh check at the line of scrimmage. And uh, I, I had fun um, with people trying to decipher what he was saying at times and all that, and he made the joke afterwards as well. They're going to have to come up with some uh, different uh, terminology each and every week if they're going to continue to stay in that no huddle because it was very audible. Uh, it was easy for even us to hear it in our headsets, yeah. <laughs> much less on TV throughout the game. But super impressed with that. Also, we got to see some uh, Josh Allen running, and Ken Dorsey dials up a, a QB draw, and I believe it was the second play of the game. And so they made sure to get that in early, and it was, it was fun to watch them execute. Yeah, I want to stay right there, Eric. Um, after the game, we heard from Sean McDermott. He said it was a focus to get Josh running the ball a little bit more, even in practice that week. So what what does this offense do when Josh Allen can run the ball? What allows this offense to to kind of operate at a higher level when he can run the rock like that? Well, he's, he's a weapon. He's the best player on your team, maybe one of the best athletes in the league at the quarterback position, maybe outside of Lamar Jackson. And so you let him make plays. Yes, there's some risk with Josh Allen running, but it, it's talked about fairly often that athletic quarterbacks generally get hurt in the pocket, not when they're on the move. They're in control when they're in space. They're, at, they're, they're these freak athletes. And so when he's in control on the move, we, we haven't seen him get dinged up throughout his career. And so, yes, they want to, you know, fundamentally year after year, Josh become more of a true pocket passer and have that element as well. And and they've been conscious about that this year. I mean, through six weeks, he had a third of the carries this year that he did in, in any previous year of him being in the NFL. So obviously, uh, post jets game, it was, we're not going to run with Josh as much. And, Look, the offense suffered a little bit because of that. They're not all the way there where they can play that style of ball and be uh, a top-flight offense. But when you add that in, it just puts so much pressure on the defense when you add in the quarterback run element, and we saw it on full display Thursday night. And, you know, they haven't gotten much notoriety. They rarely do unless they do something extraordinary. But special teams had a rough few weeks, uh, Eric, as you know, and – 
you know, this game against the Bucks, Sam Martin hands three long fields in a row to the Buccaneers at the end of the game, which was pretty critical in creating long fields. You have Deontay Hardy on a long return, given a short field to the offense, and Tyler Baskett's back on track on kicks. I mean, it might have been their best special teams performance of the season all around, aside from a couple of penalties. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it started early with the Josh Norman hit uh, on the kickoff yeah. coverage. And so to me, um, Sean McDermott is always talking about complimentary football. And when you have the injuries, especially the defensive side of the football, everybody has to be working in a complimentary fashion. And we saw that on Thursday night when you can help out a defense that's undermanned at times because of the injuries by making them drive the full length of the field. You help out your offense, give them good field position. And and look, what what they had done the previous few weeks is part of the reason, you know, we're trying to pick apart the offense. And is this defense too dinged up? Well, the Bills lose two close games where their special teams played awful. And so, um, you know, uncharacteristically, too, you know, we, we've we seen stellar special teams play under Sean McDermott uh, with him as the head coach of the Bills. So it seems like they're back into form, and they really showed up in a big way Thursday night. Don Kincaid has had his best game yet with five catches and 65 receiving yards, finally got his first NFL touchdown. Where does he go from here now that Dawson Knox is not going to be involved in the lineup for the next few weeks? Where do you think he goes in terms of targets he gets and in terms of his role within this offense since we saw a great game out of him against the Bucks? Yeah, you know, these last couple of weeks he's been super productive and that's what Bills fans assume was going to happen from the start of the season. You got a, a first round draft pick and all the hype around him all offseason and even played well in the preseason. Well, when you have two tight ends out there and you have Diggs and you have Davis and you have so many weapons on offense, you know, and then you're essentially splitting times the tight end, then you're not going to have that that high of production. But these last couple of weeks with him being the the main feature at tight end, we've seen what he's capable of. And, you know, he's he's got an incredible catch radius. I believe Josh Allen's perfect throwing him uh, the football over the last two games. He makes contested catches. He's got a great feel for sitting in soft spots of zones. And when you talk about the Bills struggling against the Blitz, against the Patriots, and against Jacksonville, having a very quarterback-friendly tight end that can sit in those soft spots, and even on his touchdown, uh, on, on Dalton Kincaid's touchdown, he actually looks for the ball right away because he sees the blitz. And so he actually was hot on that play, and Josh could have gave it to him right then. Josh scrambles to his right. He has the wherewithal to convert his hot route into an over route and then catch the ball and get in for a touchdown. I, I've been super impressed with him since he walked in the door, and we're really starting to see him progress uh, as a big-time NFL tight end here. Yeah, definitely wise beyond his years for sure, uh, knowing he's just a rookie. Looking at the defensive side of the ball, Eric, a couple of things come to mind here. Uh, first, when the team can get a lead, that pass rush looks a whole lot better. And then number two, the coverage by Dane Jackson and Christian Benford, for the most part in that game, or at least through the first three quarters, was maybe the most consistent that we've seen all season. Yeah, they really held Mike Evans in check for a majority of that game. He has the touchdown, but that ball bounces off of Benford's head or off his helmet. And so to me, um, you know, watching that game the other night, you know, 
that's going to need to be the formula likely for the Bills moving forward. Um, you know, they're, they're just so banged up on defense that if teams can stay balanced against them, at times they may struggle. But playing with the lead, considering who they have rushing the passer still up front, the athleticism they have on the second level of the defense with Bernard, they get, they're getting more dime defense now. Ed Poyer put rap on the field as well. Um, yeah, this is a defense that, in like most defenses in the NFL, but they played, um, they showed playing with a lead is going to be what they need to do. And so we were wondering if Sean McDermott may accept the opening kick, take the opening kickoff and, and receive if they won the toss. They still deferred, but getting up in games is really going to help out that defense. And uh, I believe they're second in the NFL in sacks right now. And they've missed a ton of sacks in the pocket, not getting quarterbacks down. And so really they could even boost those numbers from there, just bringing guys down better. Yeah, they tie for second right now in the NFL with 28 sacks. I want to ask you about the dime defense that they've been in a little bit more. There was a stat from the NFL that I think that said maybe in the first five games or four games, they didn't play any dime. And within the last two games, um, heading into this Bucks game, really, they had played 21 snaps um, within the last two games heading into the Bucks game. And we saw them use dime again against the Bucks, And I think it's something we will see going forward because Sean McDermott commented after the game and said, you know, we're trying to figure out how to live, how to live life without Matt Milano and, and moving Jordan Poyer into a role like this allows us to do that where Jordan Poyer is kind of acting as, as a bigger linebacker there. Um, not necessarily taking one off the field, but switching guys around within their roles. We know that Jordan Poyer does play safety um, when they're not in dime, but what do you make of their usage of that? Have you liked how it's looked and have you liked what they've gotten it out what it, what they've gotten out of it? Yeah, I do. And, and to me, you're adding athleticism onto the field. Dodson has played fine when he's been in for Milano, but that's not someone you want to allow teams to target on third down in obvious pass situations. So you replace him with Poyer, and then uh, Rap goes back to Poyer's spot. And I've liked the looks they've done. So Sean McDermott kind of going back to his a little bit more of his Carolina days with these uh, six up at the line of scrimmage looks, the double mug linebackers and it's really tough to see who's coming well then you have Poyer up there as well and he's got some serious speed we heard Eric Washington in the press conference earlier this week talk about how uh, great Jordan Poyer is blitzing and that's part of the reason that they have him in that role and maybe not have him on the back end and Taylor Rapp up closer to the line of scrimmage at that linebacker level and so Poyer's uh, enjoying this role it, it, it appears and the defense uh, is extremely fast when you add Taylor Rapp on the field in those situations and get off um, one of your bigger linebackers. All right, so let's spin this forward a little bit, Eric. I know it's only Monday, and it's a long way until Sunday night, but the Bengals look like they're back to form with a convincing victory over the San Francisco 49ers in San Fran, and they do it with two interceptions on the defensive side and pressure on Brock Purdy almost all day long. And Burrow looks like Burrow again going 28-32. to 32. We talked about the formula that we think is best for the Bills going forward to be successful. How realistic is it to mimic that same formula that they had last week against a team of this caliber? 
Well, it's going to be more difficult, and at times it can be more difficult to run that no-huddle offense on the road as well because it's harder to verbally communicate out there, get all of your calls and checks communicated to everyone and not being in the huddle. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that no-huddle they're running on the road in Cincinnati. And, yeah, the Bengals are, are up to 5-3, and three, and at the beginning of the season they looked awful like they have kind of the past couple years. And, you know, Burrow gets them going at some point, and then they're one of the better teams in the league again. And so, yeah – Burrow's playing good football right now, um, and then you got Chase Higgins getting healthy, and so uh, this is going to be a big time matchup in Cincinnati with with major playoff implications on the line. Yeah, you mentioned Jamar Chase, T Higgins there, and Tyler Boyd. What type of test is this going to be for Buffalo's defensive backs unit heading into a game uh, where they're going to have to not shut down one guy but multiple guys? Yeah, this is going to be the toughest test they've faced in a few weeks. I mean, you know, New England. Uh, Buccaneers, those aren't two formidable offenses in this league. And so this injury-depleted defense that's now getting a chance to to get their legs under them a little bit with the 10 days rest and, and a little extra time game planning. And I'm interested to see you know what how it looks different this year defensively for the Bills under Sean McDermott against Cincinnati last year coming out of the playoff game there was a lot of criticism about the off coverage not bringing enough pressure on Burrow not getting around him enough well they add Leonard Floyd hopefully Von Miller uh you know uses this time this extra rest and we'll see uh you know add an improvement from him and in his road back from the ACL but you're gonna have to put some pressure on Burrow in this game and then Kind of back to our point before, if you can play with the lead and make them one-dimensional, that helps out tremendously uh, when, when you're going against an offense like Cincinnati. And speaking of that pass rush, you know, with Vaughn getting more snaps, he got 27 last week. That's the most he's gotten in a game since his return. And we continue to see Greg Rousseau kicked inside for obvious reasons. You know, you want to get your best pass rushers on the field, Eric. But going into a game like this one against Cincinnati – Knowing that Burrow gets the ball out super fast, is that another reason to put Rousseau inside, just if if not for anything, to just get his hands up in the passing lanes? Yeah, I think so. And Jordan Phillips is six six as well, so you get you you get those guys both on the field. Ed Oliver, you you want him out there as much as you can. He's one of the best players on your team, playing incredible football right now. But if you get a lot of height inside. Yes, you can clog up some of those passing lanes with Rousseau um, out there on the field. And so, yeah, I definitely think you could see some of that Sunday night. The Bengals tie for fourth with 13 takeaways, and and the Bills are up there too. Uh, They are third with 14 takeaways. Um, So since they're right next to each other, 13 takeaways and 14 takeaways, how important does the takeaway battle become in a game like this when you have the opportunity to get an offense, both teams who, who have been and are within the last game operating at a high level, how important does the takeaway battle and turnover battle become in a game like this? Yeah, it becomes enormous. When you're talking about two fairly even matched teams, I believe the spread come, came out at, at a point and a half. Uh, might be up a little bit now, but regardless, you're talking about two evenly matched teams in the NFL. You know, show me after the game the the turnover ratio and the red zone efficiency for both teams, and you'll probably see who's going to win this football game. All right, Eric. Thanks as always for the insight. Appreciate you joining us here a couple of days after the fact, and we'll catch up with you next week. Sounds good, guys. Have a great week. All right, that's Eric Wood joining us here on One Bills Live as he does every Monday after games, and he'll do the same next week on a lot shorter sleep.
after uh, the Sunday night Whew. game. Got got nothing but prime timers and four o'clockers here, oh Maddie, gosh, for a yeah. long stretch. Mm-hmm. Nothing, we don't have a one o'clock until week 17. Yeah. We're like eight weeks away from that. New Year's <laughs> Eve. Yeah, exactly. That's how far away it is. I mean, it's not even Halloween yet. It's going to be next year when we see yeah, another exactly. one o'clock game. Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, we've been asking you today for your thoughts on how you think the AFC East is going to shake out when we get to the end of the regular season in two months' time. So if you have a take on that, feel free to call us at 803-0550, the number to get on board. But uh, we do want to check back on the tweet sheet because we've neglected it here for a little bit uh, to get some thoughts there. And who did who are we up to here? I think we were up to Aaron on the tweet sheet. I think so. Who says, unfortunately, I think the Dolphins win it because the rest of their schedule is much easier. Bills still have Eagles, Bengals, Cowboys, and Chiefs. Uh, I, I kind of partially agree with you because I think the Dolphins also have the Chiefs and the Cowboys, they've already lost to the Eagles, um, and they did already play the Bengals. Dolphins so, still have the Cowboys and the Bills. Oh, no, they don't play the Bengals. They play no. the Ravens instead of the Bengals. That and was they the have cross the Chiefs division. this week. Yeah, they're at Baltimore in, like, week 17. Yep, that could be difficult, That's too. a tough game, and they have Dallas still. So their schedule is pretty stiff. The team in the division that whose schedule lightens up considerably is the Jets because mm-hmm. um, they've played a lot of these teams already, which, like I said earlier, to come out of that four and three without your starting quarterback for all of four plays, that's a pretty good show. But, you know, Houston, Atlanta, Las Vegas, even Washington, like those aren't tough games. So – Jets kind of have a favorable look at it here over the last nine. If they can get just enough offense, you know, they could be in business and stay in the hunt, so to speak, because they're right on Buffalo's heels right now. Chet on the tweet sheet says, Bills and Dolphins will continue to battle for the top spot in the division. The last game of the regular season will probably decide it. How likely do you think that happens, Maddie? We get to the last week, and it's for all the marbles. What do you think the chances are? I think it could happen. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing these two teams and how they've played so far and and how we can guess they're going to play, Dolphins are 6-2. The Bills are 5-3. I think this could come down to the last game. Now, you look at the divisional games left – And the Dolphins have already played the Patriots twice. They haven't seen the Jets yet, so they still have to see the Jets twice. They've played the Bills once. Obviously, that was a loss. And they're going to get the Bills in the final game of the regular season. So I think it's a possibility. The Bills still have to play the Jets again. They've got to see the Patriots again. And they've got the Dolphins again. Yeah, the the only thing that worries me a little, and this doesn't come into play as much as head-to-head does, thankfully, with a division opponent. Um, but Buffalo right now 1-2 and two in the division, Miami 2-1 and one in the division. Mm-hmm. So there's some ground to make up there in addition to being just one game back in overall record. Um, conference record, too, doesn't come in until later when you're dealing with a team in your division on a tiebreaker. But Buffalo 2-3 and three in the conference, and Miami 4-1. and one. They've won their AFC games. So... Miami's got, got some ground games. to make up. Yeah. Got some ground to yeah. make up in a couple of those different areas uh, for sure. Uh, 
Ed on the tweet sheet says, unless Tua implodes and the Dolphins have a rash of injuries, it looks like the Dolphins take the top spot. It's only a one-game edge there, Ed. Hang in there. Come on. Come on. Have some faith. Hey, I mean, Let's go. We're only halfway through it. I, I still don't think, um, I mean, maybe aside from, you know, the week two to four stretch when the Bills were putting up crazy points, I don't know that the full breadth of what this passing game can do has been realized yet, even by the team itself. And like a lot of us have said today, I think we got a taste of it last Thursday night. I don't even think we got the full meal mm-hmm. yet, if you know what I mean. So I'm really hoping our caller from earlier, I think it was Jay, who was saying, you know, I want to see them rise to the caliber of the teams that they're playing because that's what they've done historically. Like the bigger the stakes, the better they play. If that's the case, the Bills could be in business here because Miami has not been able to do that so far this season when they've played the big dogs, so to speak. Yeah. Buffalo has shown an ability to do that in the past. If they can do that again here, that could be pretty important. You Knowing they're playing teams the caliber of Cincinnati, Dallas, Philadelphia, Kansas City. Exactly. So that's uh, that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, if they can keep keep on doing that. If that's what you do, keep doing it because we got a gauntlet coming up here. They've been able to do it. And if this is a team that can rise to the occasion consistently and the Miami Dolphins, on the other hand, cannot do that, I mean, let's go. Bring it. This team has, has done in the past, too. They've, they've been able to hang with some of the best teams. Now you want all those to end up being wins. And I think about the playoffs and hanging with some of the best teams you know, hasn't always fared well for this team, but maybe this is a different version this year. And maybe they're going to, they're going to start peaking at the right time and yep. continue on through the playoffs. And, and maybe that means they get some of the guys back who are injured in the playoffs. That would be incredible. I mean, you got Vaughn who's, who's rising right now and, and he's starting to get more and more snaps under his belt. You think about what could happen in the playoffs if you get some guys back who are either placed on the IR or just not, not around right now. Could be a different story. Yeah. We are going to take a break here. When we come back, more of your phone calls at 803-0550, After watching a full weekend of non-Bills football, how do you see the AFC East finishing at the end of the regular season? Open lines for you. Chime in if you wish. Otherwise, we'll get back to more comments on the tweet sheet when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you. 803-0550, the phone number, 1-888-550-2550. The number to get on board is we've been asking you today, since you watched a lot of non-Bills football over the weekend, how do you think the AFC East shakes out one through four by the time we get to the end of the regular season, which stands nine games away at this juncture? One other thing, we know the Bengals are on tap at the end of the week, Sunday night football in Cincinnati. And there was a quote from Bengals QB Joe Burrow in the Football Morning in America column by Peter King. He talked to him on the phone after the game, the win over the Niners, and he said, quote, we're exactly where we need to be, and we're going to keep getting better. So they're definitely feeling themselves over there uh, in Cincinnati, and we know how they can sometimes 
have a little bit of an attitude. Um, they're a confident bunch. Yes, they're, they're not shy about speaking out, shall we say. Uh, there is a trade report coming from NFL Network's Mike Garofolo concerning the Giants and the Seahawks. Giants are finalizing a deal to send Pro Bowl defensive lineman Leonard Williams to the Seahawks. And it's, it's basically a cost maneuver to give the Giants more financial flexibility going forward. They're going to have to pay Kayvon Thibodeau in a couple of years. They have other contracts. They paid Dexter Lawrence a boatload of money last year. And maybe if they want to keep Saquon after this season, they'll have to pay him some money. So they've got some financial decisions on the horizon here. So they move on. They're going to reportedly move on from Leonard Williams, who now goes to the Seahawks. And the Seahawks, very quietly, Maddie, are shaping up to be a pretty formidable foe on the NFC side of things, mm-hmm. which, as we know, isn't nearly as deep as the AFC. And they've won five games. They're five and two. They have a two-game win streak going right now. It'll be interesting to see what they can do and how they can run the table. And uh, Ian Rappaport tweeting that the Giants are reportedly getting back a 2024 second rounder and a 2025 fifth rounder. Mm, second and a five for Leonard Williams. That's pretty good. I would mm-hmm. I would swing that deal. Um, but it's more about freeing them of a financial burden of the player. And I'm just going to say it. Leonard Williams did not impress me in the least when he came to play the Bills a few weeks ago here in Sunday Night Football. I just don't notice him very much. It's weird because, I mean, that guy was like a top five pick in the draft, the Jets granted, and then went across the street to play for the Giants. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't been more of an impactful player uh, for the Giants this season. And so they decide to move on from him, according to – NFL Network's Mike Garofolo, and uh, I believe Tom Pelissero. So that's the latest trade news. As we know, the deadline is tomorrow at 4 p.m., Halloween. Uh, but let's get to the phones at 803-0550, the number to get on board, open line for you. We go to Stan in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Stan? Hey, Brownie. Hey, Maddie. Love talking to you guys. Brownie, I know we talked last week about uh, some trade stuff. Yep. First, I just want to say on the AFCs, I'll never give up on the Bills. But, man, we're behind in conference. We're behind in division. I mean, one game is – we don't just need one game. We need, like, two games or three games yeah. to come through. Yeah, you're right about um, that. The other thing is, is I know we talked about uh, – I don't know. I want to pull for Denver. I think everyone's for sale there. We talked about Patrick Sertain last week. I still wish that would happen. We use the cornerbacks. Um, also somebody on the Denver Broncos that I really like, and I think he'd be a great for the, fit for the bills. And I don't know if it can happen is Cortland Sutton. I'm going to hang up and listen to you guys. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Cortland Sutton. Yeah. Let's just take the guy that's been killing it for them all season long. We'll, we'll take him. Thanks very much. I, I wish it was that easy, Stan. I do. Um, I understand why you're interested in him. He's having a fantastic season, uh, for them. Jerry Judy's the one that's been disappointing. You know, in terms of his lack of consistency. So the the interesting thing, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show. So Sean Payton addressing the media today after their second straight win yesterday over the Chiefs said, none of our guys are being sold at this point. So don't expect anything. And could that be posturing and just Sean Payton trying to drive up the, the asking price on the players on his roster? to get more out of 
other coaches in the league or GMs, perhaps. But you also have to think about how the season suddenly looks now. They're three and five. They've won two in a row. They're playing better. Their defense is playing amazing right now. I can't see them having a fire sale because the complexion of their season has changed pretty dramatically between now and what it was just three weeks ago when they were a one-win football team. So I think that may give them pause in throwing people overboard for the sake of draft capital. I think things are tight enough because the Raiders aren't part of the conversation in their division. And I believe the Chargers are either three and five or three and four. I can't remember if they had a bye yet. So they're right there, right behind the Chiefs, and they have a game in hand on the Chiefs, having just beaten them head-to-head. So I think they feel like, hey, we keep putting this together. We may be able to have a shot at this thing, and I can't see them moving on from somebody. And, and then to take it a step further, Maddie, as we were talking about earlier, this offense is just starting to diversify itself and define some roles. Yeah, I was going to say, I would I would look elsewhere before looking at the wide receiver room if you want to add to position groups. I think they have plenty of guys, and, and like you said, they've started to define some roles. We saw a lot from Khalil Shakir last week against the Bucks. Could we see more going forward? Um, Gabe Davis is still a factor. We saw him have another touchdown. He's got five so far this season. Stefan Diggs, their best wide receiver out there, continues to make plays and continues to rack up the stat sheet in terms of what he is doing. Dalton Kincaid could be used even more going forward. I don't know if if there's enough ball to spread around even between all the guys that are currently on this roster, let alone thinking about adding another guy into the room. And then the most important factor here is can you fit the money? And Cortland Sutton is making a base salary of $14 million this year. It's going to be seven and change left on that tab if the Bills somehow miraculously were able to acquire him. They can't fit that under their cap right now, and I can't see the Broncos moving him because he's a $25 million dead cap hit. So it doesn't make sense for the Broncos. As far as Buffalo's finances, they can't fit it unless they send dollars out in the form of a player as well. Uh, of pretty notable means, by the way, not like a minimum salary guy. You got to send somebody out that's making a good buck to even try to make that work. So good name, good player, bad money fit, uh, ultimately. And, and again, as Maddie and I were saying, the offense was just showing signs of life diversification and defining some roles here that we hadn't seen through the first five weeks. Let's let it percolate a little bit and see if it maximizes itself going forward. 803-0550, the number to get on board. Want to check a couple more comments on the tweet sheet uh, that we did not get to yet. And Andrew is up next, and he says, without a doubt, Miami's most likely going to win the AFC East division unless for some unexplainable reason they decide to start losing games, which I don't see happening. They are definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with. P.S. I still hate Miami. Go Bills. <laughs> All right, so it's just, Andrew's just got a healthy respect for the Dolphins, and you understand why. I mean, they got the highest-scoring offense in football, number one rushing offense, number one passing offense, number one total yards per play. They're just a big play waiting to happen each and every week, and they've been able to navigate themselves through some injuries too. Mostert missed some time, has come back. 
Devon Achan still on IR, hasn't come back. Tyreek Hill had some hip injury, was able to play last week. Jalen Waddell leaves the Eagles game with a bad back, comes back and plays this week, and has the clinching touchdown at the end of the game against the Patriots. So they've And they've been able to navigate a bad offensive line due to injury, too. So even though they've been shorthanded at times, they've managed to find a way to still win football games, and that's why they sit atop the division at 6-2. and two. But as we have said, Maddie, there are some pitfalls on that schedule with some super opponents. And when they've been tested, when they've played the really good teams, they've lost. Right. Their two losses to the Bills and the Eagles. Let's see what they can do with the Chiefs this week. A neutral game site. I know, I know it's technically a home game for the Chiefs, but they'll be in Germany. Uh, so let's see how that goes. This is a halfway point in the season where teams are truly starting to figure themselves out, what their identity is, what they're going to be about, what their strengths are, what, what they what they lack with, what what they're not as good with. And let's see what they well, let's see what happens. Who runs the table? The Chiefs are coming off of a loss, a bad loss to the Broncos where they only scored 9 points. The Dolphins on the other hand just scored 31 points against the Patriots. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be a that's going to be a highly watched 9:30 a.m. game I'm, from I'm Germany. I'm watching that one. Yeah. Get my coffee, sit on my couch. Let her rip. Um, yeah, because it's a long day before, yeah. we'll before the Bills game. Steve on the tweet sheet says, Week 18 against the Dolphins will decide the division. We talked about this earlier and the chances of this happening. If you try to handicap the schedule and pick wins and losses, there's some tough games in front of Buffalo and in front of Miami. And knowing there's only a game in overall record that separates them, you can find yourself very easily getting to a place where you say, oh, you know what? The Bills in Miami might be dead even by the time we get to week 18. It's a distinct possibility. I don't think we can rule it out, um, knowing that both teams have a handful of tough opponents to play against. And Lord knows there's always one surprise in there, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. Denver suddenly looks like a more formidable opponent after how they've played the last couple of weeks. Granted, they have to come here. Cowboys just scored a whole lot of points in their game this week. 43, I think it was, Mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be a tough road to hoe for sure. Jamie on the tweet sheet says, Tua has never made it through a season in college or the pros and always swoons once the weather changes. Expect more of the same. And Tyreek will pull a hamstring once he plays in cold weather. Bills will pull away at the end. So Jamie is relying on injury. And the weather. To win the division. Uh, yeah, cold weather. I know Tua's record in below 32 degrees is not good. I, I think he might have one win, maybe two, but it's not favorable, to say the least. So, yeah, actually, we should take a look at the Miami schedule again and right. see how many games are in northern climates. Because as we know, the Bills are playing at Miami in Week 18, so that one's off the table. But they do have to go to Baltimore on New Year's Eve. They have to go to New York. The Jets just before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Washington. And Washington. Yeah. So there might be a couple of games in there. I don't know if it's getting Not below freezing. Not a lot. The Baltimore game probably yeah. is the only one. And you wonder if Baltimore is still sore about that come-from-ahead loss Oof. they had to the Dolphins last year. You remember that one? They were up yeah. by like 20-something points and um, choked on a chicken bone and lost the game. So Baltimore might have uh, some – 
some mojo going into that one. John on the tweet sheet says, this is my off day. This AFC East talk is stressful. <laughs> it's not beer o'clock yet. Give me some good trade line, trade deadline news first. Then we can talk AFC East. I think this had to be our year. The team will be broken up on defense next year. Poyer and Hyde gone, in my opinion. That's an interesting take. Um, I believe Micah's contract is up after this year. Poyer has another year mm-hmm. left. Yes. So there could be some decisions that are made there. I don't deny that for a second. And let's not forget this, too. Taylor Rapp's contract's up, and he's a free agent again. He signed only a one-year deal this offseason, along with a slew of other players, particularly a defensive tackle. It was like one-year city this year mm-hmm. in the offseason. So the roster could look very different next year. It's a noteworthy point um, that doesn't impact this year. And, and it's not built beer o'clock yet, John. So take your time getting there. And uh, sorry to have stressed you out. Uh, the only trade deadline news we have is the reports out there that Leonard Fournette will be in Buffalo. Uh, this according to Jordan Schultz of the Bleacher Report. And that pending a physical... He will sign with the club. We'll wait and see if that, in fact, becomes official word from the team. Nothing official from them as of yet. We take a break here. Maddie and I to close things up when we return. On One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, so if the playoffs started today, the Bills would be the five seed, and they would have to go to Baltimore to play the Ravens, one of the hotter teams in the league right now, as uh, they are 6-2 and two in a game ahead of Buffalo. So the 4-5 game would be that, Buffalo at Baltimore. What do you think? I like it. I like our chances against the Ravens. It's a toughie, but they won there last year. And we've played well against Lamar Jackson yes. and their team. Our defense does a really good job scheming up how to attack him, how to play him, how to limit him. So I would feel pretty confident about that matchup. I know they've had a hot season, and I know Lamar Jackson has been scoring a lot of points. He's a fantasy quarterback in one of my leagues, and he's gotten me a ton of points. Yeah. But the, I feel good about it. The Bills right now, number one in the league still in net point differential at plus 86. Second is Baltimore Mm -hmm. at plus 81. Both teams have a net touchdown number of 13. So 13 more touchdowns than their opponents so far this season. I think it would be a pretty even matchup. A lot of people believe that the Ravens have raised the level of Lamar Jackson's game, making him a more effective pocket passer. And, you know, he's still a threat with his legs, as you know. So that would be a really interesting game. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of games left to play. Nine, to be exact, in the regular season. So a lot can change between now and early January. Uh, that's going to do it for Maddie and I here on a Monday. But we are going to come back and do it all again tomorrow. The only difference is we're going to be here on at a 1 o'clock start on Tuesday. And we'll have ESPN's Dan Orlovsky with us, Matt. It'll be a good conversation there. Get an early look at Cincinnati from him. I love that. That's tomorrow at 1 o'clock. We'll see you then.